And what you just heard was the WWF, I guess, intro theme of Dick Slater. Uh, That is the NWA uh, wrestler spotlight that we'll be discussing later in the show. I am your host, JD. Welcome to the Redleaf WrestleCast, episode 40, titled Natural Progression, five-star Super J fan. (laughs) As always, a conglomeration of all the shows... Uh, we're going to be discussing here today. It has been a rambunctious, crazy last couple weeks for me. Sorry for this episode coming out a little later than the usual, uh, exactly two weeks. But here I am, regardless. Uh, lots of shows, work's been busy, bowling's been crazy. Just got a lot on my plate. I did end up getting all of the wrestling I wanted to watch done just for this episode. And a guy even got a little uh, shout-outs to make, such as... Go check out Redleaf Retrocast Anime and Retro Gaming Edition, and of course the Modern Gaming Edition with the new segment uh, for the monthly cast of my mom talking with me about uh, a game of the month that we got to try out slash play, so go check all that out. And of course, our sister podcast uh, conglomeration site, The Anime Radicals, uh, just did an episode over... The um, Arc 1 of Fire Emblem Three Houses, the big hit game on the Nintendo Switch that came out this summer. Go check out Anime Radicals and everybody that's associated with the Conglomeration podcast. That's uh, Brains Trash Panda, Frigimon Fanatic, uh, Become and Company over at Nerdum and Other Nonsense Podcast, uh, and many others. Uh, hopefully more are to join. If I, if I forgot someone, then I apologize. But this is Redley for WrestleCast Edition. Let's get going here with a little rundown of the agenda. We got uh, some NXT thoughts, Riptide, Body Slam. Yes, we're going back to Denmark, Dragon Gate. We got the weekly wrestling recap uh, with my mom. She's here back yet again for the second straight episode talking uh, beyond wrestling of my experience. MLW, of course, and then starting in the next cast, AEW. Very excited for that. Uh, We got our... uh, Wrestler Spotlight Dick Slater, as mentioned before. Got All Japan Women Classics. Stardom 5-Star Grand Prix to the halfway point. The next episode will be the second half and the finals. Um, To make that more exciting, there's just too much stardom to talk about in just one cast. Otherwise, I'd end up talking about only stardom. Maybe that's not a bad thing. WXW just had their annual uh, fan event. Progress had its natural progression series. New Japan finally put up the... Uh, Super J Cup, and they had their Destruction Tour, and then finally rounding out with WCW, not Nitro for this cast, we reached another pay-per-view, that's Road Wild 1998, so stay tuned to the end of that one, as usual if you're only here for a few of them, the timestamps are in the description of every episode, so go listen to what you want, hopefully I have covered something that you wanted to listen to. Let's get this thing started, I'm going to talk right away about the New Japan show I went to yes, uh, last night. Uh, it was uh, the Fighting Spirit Tour here in the United States. They didn't. Uh, they did Boston on Friday. They're doing, I believe, New York tonight and Philly on Sunday. Maybe I have those two backwards. But basically, it's all building uh, towards the Okada-Sanada IWGP heavyweight title match and Ibushi... Uh, defending his G1 uh, victory rights uh, for a title shot at Wrestle Kingdom against Evil. 
Everything else uh, was pretty by the book of a, what a New Japan show is. They, uh, it was at, it was in Lowell, Massachusetts, or just outside Boston. Uh, packed house, cool balcony setup. I really li- liked it, liked, uh, seeing the event there. It was very unique. It felt like a New Japan show. It definitely fit the environment. The fans were utterly fantastic. Uh, lots of fun. The merch line was out the frickin' door. By the time I got my merchandise, the Jay White shirt was sold out. Bullet Club stuff was sold out. Uh, Kota Ibushi stuff was sold out. So I ended up getting a uh, New Japan shirt, red with uh, blue and white lettering. Very sweet. This is 1972 on the back. And then I got a uh, New Japan athletic towel. I did get to see Goto shake hands with him. Cool dude. Very chill. He's uh, like as tall as me, kind of. I don't know. It's hard to tell. I <laughs> uh, got to see Mikey Nichols, TJ Perkins. Uh, I saw Amazing Red live for the first time in like 15 years since his TNA days. Uh, not enough Amazing Red in the ring. Uh, but he got to team with... Who did he team with again? Uh, don't remember. The matches that stood out was 100% obviously the main event. It was the trio of Tanahashi, uh, Ibushi, and Okada all teaming up against LIJ, Naito, Evil, and Sonata. Just a crazy hot match. You just feel this. This was the coolest thing about the show, though. As every match got higher and higher on the card, you just felt the star power get so much bigger and the crowd reacted as such too, uh, but the 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 match I liked the most out of outside the main event just because of the pure star power and how they worked in the ring, uh, and Tanahashi winning on a roll up against Naito was quite shocking. It was actually the IWGP Tag Team Title match, uh, God, who are by the way the coolest motherfuckers on the planet. No one can tell me different. They are. A cool duo, despite being heels. It was their defense against Rapongi 3K, the junior tag team, really doing their best against the heavyweights. And um, it was more or less a by-the-book tag match, but very exciting to see live. It was the finish that brought it all together. Uh, hit the magic killer on Rapongi 3K. Yo kicks out of it. And then he does a series of near falls, three of them. Uh, and the crowd just goes crazy. I was on my feet. I stood for the entire tag team and main event. And uh, after three near falls, out of nowhere, uh, Tamatanga hits a gun stun and just lackadaisically pins him. Crazy good. It was a f- flash finish. It was awesome. Uh, and then there was my two kind of marking out wrestler fandom moments of the night. Uh, the first came where I was like, oh, I get to see a Chase Owens match. You get to see him eat a pin. This will be exciting. It was Chase Owens and Giotto. Old Giotto can't do very much of anything at this point. Uh, they were taking on the Rock and Roll Express tag team. I saw win their match against Butcher and the Blade at American Rana Beyond Wrestling a few months ago uh, this summer. <laughs> Rock and Roll Express was so over, and they were so just fun to watch. It's what makes you like being a wrestling fan and chase owens was just the biggest dick heel he ends up Jado gets the stick hits ricky morton um ricky morton in fact does a suicide dive and a hurricane rana in this match crazy 
hits Ricky Morton, package pile driver, Chase Owens does not in fact eat a pin, but gets the pin win. So I'm just devastated as a fan. I can't believe what I'm witnessing. And the very next match, it's a trios match with like Ishii, uh, Yoshihashi, and I forget the other guy. Uh, they were up against Jay White. Yeah, Jay White. Kenta. <sighs> and whoever Yoshihashi be, I can't even remember right now. I'm just too devastated. Wasn't Yujiro. Some guy lower on the totem pole. The point is, Yoshihashi then got the pin. So, obviously, I'm in Bizarro World. I can't believe what I'm witnessing. Wrestling's dead to me. Rock and Roll died this night. Great show. Long drive. Took me two hours traffic just to get there. Hour, almost an hour and a half to get home. But it was so worth it. Uh, I probably, because I was only 12 rows from the ring, I think as an experience-wise... I still think G1 Supercard was the better show uh, as a whole, especially with the New Japan matches that I saw with Ibushi Naito, Tanahashi's Saber, the main event Okada, Jay White singles action. That was the better show, but as a wrestling fan and just the experience of it all, I actually enjoyed this more. Maybe it's because I'm coming off fresh in my mind. Uh, but moving on, i got some thoughts over Kofi Kingston as champion before WWE SmackDown heads to Fox. So I asked, I put out the question in a number of discords, wrestling discords, and on Twitter. Uh, what has Kofi Kingston's best defense been? And there was immediate confusion with this question. I thought it was pretty, pretty simple to ask. Defense. He has the title and he's defended it, right? Well, everyone said his match against Daniel Bryan at Mania. I go, that wasn't a defense. He won the title. That is easily his best match, but that wasn't his defense. Because to me, what makes a champion great isn't the moment he wins the title. It's how he keeps it. How was this champion kept the title? And does do you want to continue see him, seeing him being the champion? Much like Okada. You see Okada have a title defense and you go, holy shit, that was good. You don't mind, you know, it's always exciting to see a new champion, a championship t title change. But the reign is what matters. What was missing in AJ Styles' title reign were these good defenses. So, I asked the question, which match was Kofi Kingston's best? And it was pretty much a consensus of, well shit, now that we think about it, he really hasn't had a good defense, especially on pay-per-view. His best one was the consensus of this triple threat match of, I think it was Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens, or Kevin Owens and Daniel Bryan, something of that trio nature. And that was just a regular TV match, cut with multiple commercials. And that get, that gets you thinking, okay, a title champion, a champion, is his legacy is um, marked by A, good matches, being booked strong, and the stories involving those matches. Well, what has those stories with Kofi Kingston been? Dolph Ziggler comes back, gets a title match because he came back. And had jo had a joke-filled cage match, a nothing match in Saudi Arabia that I hope nobody watched. Kevin Owens turned heel for the sake of turning heel just to face off against Kingston at Money in the Bank. I saw that match. Nobody cared. It fell flat. I was there live. Uh, then he gets... 
uh, pumped into a feud with Randy Orton for a hot shot, no reason other than he's Randy Orton. They go to a flat DQ, no contest finish at SummerSlam, their second biggest event of the year in WWE. Then he had a rematch that I guess you can consider passable for some fans, but it wasn't defining. So that's the big problem with Kofi Kingston's reign. It's just there. It exists. Yes, he's been booked strong. That can't be denied. That's great. A champion should be booked strong. A champion should be strong. Nobody denies that. That's great. That's expected. Right? But there's no defining moment. And I just don't think Kofi Kingston has that power to stay at the top. Could be another Jinder Mahal situation where as soon as he leaves the title, loses the title, he's gone. In Kingston's case, at the very least, he has the New Day to go back and, and lay upon. And then they'll just probably go back in the tag team, throw him pancakes mode. And he's still doing that, so... That's my thoughts. I think Kingston's reign has been incredibly bland, disappointing. Just no, no uh, news generation, just nothing. But let me play this. That, that, that was just my thoughts. It's been eating at me for a while. Let's play the first drop. Talked about New Japan fighting spirit. Had a lot of fun. Talked about my Kofi Kingston thoughts. Oh, and by the way, The Fiend has to fucking win at Hell in a Cell. Otherwise, what's the point? <laughs> and I fully expect him to... Uh, well, I mean, short thought on Rey Mysterio. WWE has never treated Mysterio right. It's only because the fans make him bulletproof. Is why he's such, such an untouchable star and legend. So on Monday... When he has his hot shot title match, even though he lost uh, to Andrade so badly in a two out of three falls match in August that he was contemplating retirement in storyline, of course. The point is, the story's there. That's the story. He gets put in a random five way, not Andrade, because wins and losses don't matter in WWE. So why should I care? Um, but I can't help but care because that's what wrestling should be. Uh, he gets a title match on Monday. And he'll probably get his fingers shoved down his throat. Seth Rollins will cry in a corner, just like he deleted his Twitter. And we'll move on to Hell in a Cell. So the Fiend better fucking win. Alright. Drop time. I'm gonna play this shit. Fuck. Johnny Gargano, where are you? There you are. Yes. NXT USA Live Episode 1. I watched it. I had. I was super curious. It was uh, built up to be a good card. And uh, this is the new era of NXT. It is now on USA Live, or at least the first hour in this case, because, you know, the deal was struck so fast they had to, they forgot about Suits being on TV. But regardless, I thought it was a fun TV show. At the end of the day, that's what it's supposed to be, a fun TV show. Uh, the wordage is already there, uh, with a lot of commentary, uh, so I end up muting a lot of it. I don't like hearing, you know, a match get broken up by a commercial break and they just say things like, oh, it rolls on. Uh, this match will continue. Um, you know, the, the wordage is bad. Just say, we have to go to a commercial break, we'll be right back. You know, make it simple. So really fun, quick-spotted women's four-way. Uh, to earn a title shot against Shayna Baszler was first. Uh, it was Mia Yim, Bianca Belair, Io Shirai, or Lo Shirai, according to WWE's trademarks, and uh, Candice LeRae. 
a uh, yeah, it was fun. Loray wins via Lion Salt, and probably you know this is. I'm glad Loray got her chance to shine. Why is she in this match and not Rhea Ripley? Rhea Ripley trounced on the scene with force. She's a star. Loray lost clean in the middle of the ring at the last takeover to Io Shirai. Mia Yim lost clean at the one before that. To me, if anything, Shirai earned her way into a three-way. Belair uh, has the right because she's strung together wins and enough time has passes, passed. And Rhea Ripley got screwed out of her shot. So in my mind, it was pretty, it should have been obvious, Rhea Ripley comes in, beats Belair in a one-on-one situation. Then you can have a LeRae-Yim match, singles. And then, you know, if you want LeRae in the picture, then make that a three-way. You know, Ripley, LeRae, and uh, Baszler. And then you can have LeRae either pin Baszler, and Baszler moves on to Raw or SmackDown. Or you have Ripley pin LeRae. Or something, some other combination. You know, there's a million things you could do. But good for Loray, she wins. Uh, she looked good. I, d- I think she was the star of the match, and that's kind of the point since she won. And uh, Baszler and her goon, her goon squad, you know, stared her down. And we moved on. Trevor Lee squashes, uh, I believe it was Sean Maluda. Just double stomped him with his goofy top hat. He's got kind of the a goofy hangman page presence to him. Uh, very curious to what Trevor Lee is going to do, because I don't need to see him doing arm locks and arm bars and leg locks when all he does is stomp a guy in the end. You know, uh, the WWE system is already infecting Trevor Lee, because I just saw him in progress and he was a tool and it was a fantastic tool. North American title match: Roderick Strong defeats Velveteen Dream in a. It says 22 minutes 28 seconds. I think we only saw like 10 minutes of it from the commercial breaks because it had to roll on. Uh, look, I don't need a million suicide dives just to go to commercial break, and then when they come back, the other guy's winning all of a sudden. Good God, it irritates me to no end. Hopefully AEW doesn't pull that shit. Uh, that would equally irritate me. Uh, you know, I really liked the build to this where Roderick Strong hates his couch. You know, Rick James style. <laughs> uh, I don't like you, I don't like your couch. I'm very confused that Pete Dunne didn't get this opportunity to win the title one-on-one because Strong lost to Pete Dunne clean uh, before the three-way at the last takeover. Yeah, just because... Uh, I don't watch everything that WWE has to offer. To me, it's impossible. And it's it's very overexposure problem. I do keep up with the news and what's happened. And I catch a match every now and again that piques my interest. Some things are just not worth talking about. But regardless, Strong and Dream have a good match. And Strong wins. Thus fulfilling the prophecy that uh, Undisputed Era in 2019 will hold all the gold. And it must be noted that Roderick Strong was the only one to win via interference from the Undisputed Era. So, hopefully, that plays into a story later down the line. With Strong getting kicked out in some way, he's the weakest link. We can go a number of ways with that. Mm. Then we got Pete Dunne defeats Arturo, 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 Arturo Ruas in six minutes. 
in probably the least WWE-style match I've seen in forever. It was uh, how I could describe catch-joint wrestling versus lots of fight techniques, like judo, taekwondo, capoeira, that kind of stuff. I like Arturo Ruas. Ruas. He really reminds me of some of these old WCW guys from the late 90s with big-time gimmicks of different fighting styles. And um, on paper, Ruas would have the advantage, but... Because it's wrestling and Pete Dunne snaps fingers and joints, he's not used to that because it's illegal. At least that's the the narrative I took from this. It was fun. This was, you might be surprised, my favorite match on this entire card. Uh, Xylee defeats Aaliyah in less than two minutes. Garbage. Uh, Volter and Imperium kicked the shit out of some 90s stereotype dude, which I really enjoyed. Imperium, well, let me rephrase. Imperium kicks the shit out of this dude. Then Valter makes his grandiose entrance because he can't be bothered to fuck about with this 90s hip-hop douchebag. Uh, he says his ring comp shtick. You know, the ring is sacred. You will not have this. Uh, we are here to kick the shit out of all of you. We are Imperium. Kind of situation. You know, this thick Austrian accent. Uh, Kushido, the music comes out, makes the goo- makes goofs out of uh, Imperium, but not Valter, runs away smiling. Uh, says next week he will get uh, two partners to take on Imperium, not Valter, by the way. Uh, it turned out to be Brizongo. So I, WWE is really hitting at home of this whole Imperium and the ring is sacred, just like Ringkampf, but putting putting them up against guys that kind of joke about in the ring. I don't know if this is good for Kushida. I mean, it makes sense for the narrative, but not where Kushida should be. Cruiserweight title number one contendership match. I'm always for these matches. Leo Rush defeats the very game Oni Lorcan in a great 10-minute affair. My second favorite match of the night. If I was to pick my favorite moment, it was definitely Volter and Imperium kicking the shit out of the dude. And then we had a street fight that went five minutes to a no contest of Killian Day and Matt Riddle to set up another street fight for no fucking reason. Uh, Imperium was just playing cards outside for no f- reason. That made no sense. And then the whole a whole brawl happens because it's a brawl. Which is interesting because Beyond Wrestling's season finale had a brawl with all the baby's faces standing tall. Uh, but of course, we didn't know that season two was going to happen at that time. That was a fun ending, you know. This is a beginning, and it just felt very WWE. What do we got to do? Well, we got to have a brawl, or we got to have a five-way, or we got to have a battle royal. It's always, or uh, in this case in 2019, got to have a gauntlet match. It's always the same thing, you know. Uh, just felt like it was the sake for forsake things. So yeah, uh, I'll just quickly move on from there. NXT USA Live, I might catch an episode here then. I might catch a match here then. Uh, I'm definitely still going to watch the takeovers going forward, but my time is going to be devoted to AEW on Wednesday. Well, on those nights I'm able to watch. I bowl on Wednesday nights, so it won't be live. But you'll get my mom and I's thoughts on AEW going forward, here on the Red Leaf WrestleCast. Alright, where am I? Yes, moving on. Uh, there won't be little drops here for a little bit. I don't have drops set for 
Riptide or Body Slam. So Riptide's next. Riptide is the interesting camera work promotion over in the UK. Uh, a nice atmosphere, you might say. Well, they had uh, their June 9th show titled Pride of Brighton went up for free on YouTube, on their YouTube channel, Riptide. And um, I watched the whole event. Uh, there were a couple matches that stood out to me. One match in particular was Curtis Chat. This The Pride of Brighton is basically a medal of some kind for Riptide. Think of it as their mid-card title, and they had a tournament to win this thing. So Curtis Chapman versus the OJMO, two very hot stars. OJMO is Progress Attack Pro, I believe. Uh, Curtis Chapman's Rev Pro, and they kind of meet in Riptide. Riptide is this big up-and-coming UK scene promotion. Occasionally you get the big stars from other ones like Pockin. Uh so forth. This was a real fun match. Curtis Chapman does end up winning. Not as technical as I hoped from the two, because I, especially with OJMO's finisher being a half crab, he's the master of the half crab. Curtis Chapman's very technical, very much in the Zack Sabre Jr. realm where it's a lot of mat wrestling. Well, this one turned out to be mostly high flying indie type stuff. So. Uh, if they have a match in the future, I hope it's the technical, but this was really fun. Rather enjoyed the promos before and after the match from the two, specifically. Curtis Chapman's using, like, cage match to look up stats on his, on his opponents. OJMO's, uh, you know, cut a promo about where he came from, how everyone's, like, dead or in jail kind of situation. He's out in a fence where there's a bunch of locks, saying, you know, he's not going to be locked up or locked to one thing or another. Uh, they were all wearing... David Starr independent shirts too. Uh, but after it was all said and done, Chapman gets a keyboard after a nut kick, smashed it over Oku's head and pins him. Uh, cuts a good promo after that, talking about he told us so. And then just real quick, Paul Robinson defeats Car Noir in a 13-minute match. It's exactly what you would you would expect out of the two. Good back and forth. Uh, now on to... I gotta play some sort of drop for Body Slam. I can't talk about Body Slam and not play a drop. What am I gonna play here? I really got to think of something here. You know what? Lucky Kid has been in Body Slam. I can play his music. So I'm going to do that. Yes, Lucky Kid. I got to make my notes. Always just in case. So, Body Slam Pro Wrestling out of Denmark. A uh, very easy-to-watch promotion. Uh, they do have English subtitles over in WXW Now you can watch. I believe they're also on Independent Wrestling TV Now. You can watch some of their past shows. Well, this show, The Flying Trunks, from May 4th, 2019, went up. Um... I forget the name of the town, but it's Rick the Prick Dominic, the champion's hometown. I think it's Odense. I believe that's the name of the, the city that this took place in. Night starts off with a uh, very nice suit-wearing Rick the Prick Dominic, talking about his 16-year journey to get to the title. And then Olisander immediately comes out with Emeritus holding his uh, goofy book, talking about how Rick only tells lies, lies, lies. Falsehoods, referencing him negging on his own words from cashing in his ecstasy of gold because he he's he originally called his shot and he said, "Well, I'm a prick, basically. I'm cashing in now." 
Uh, how the Lion King is going to get his crown back. I quite like this. I did like also the line where Olisander uh, talks about uh, the author of, I believe it's The Little Mermaid, uh, how everyone's very uh, uneducated, so to say, uh, even though they're in the town of of um, the author of The Little Mermaid. What is his name? I think it's Alexander. Hmm. Don't remember. Uh, then Michael Finn comes out and icing them with his words of steel. His sick rhymes, you might say. Calls Olisander and his goons fuckboys. Quite like that. He respects Rick but doesn't like him. Quite like that. Basically spits fire about how Rick took 16 years to get to the top while Finn only took a few after his debut, and he held the title for two years, so I loved all this. Everyone made total sense. Uh, Alexander backs out of a match starting that second, says he needs to prep. Good little heel move there. Smart move from the cult leader. Uh, Finn looks strong. I would have liked to see a little bit more promo from Rick the Dom- Rick Dominic because he's the champion. You know, get me a little more interested in the champion rather than the two guys gunning for his title. Uh, since he's such a new champion. Just my thoughts on the matter. Regardless, good opening segment. Everyone said their things. They got out of there quickly enough. And then we went on. And uh, just for, just to concentrate on the some of the more stories of this uh, of this show, we've got a singles match of Tank taking on Adonis. Uh, Tank is in a crisis with his tag partner out from uh, the bottle attack. Uh, so Tank is really contemplating what he does next. Does he stick with uh, tag team wrestling, going for the tag titles, you know, trying to get those back? Or does he go off on a singles run to get the Body Slam Championship because it's been so long since he's done that? You know, and him talking like this and his gray hair really gets you to know, like, what a veteran he is. And he's he's in this crisis of what he, what he should do next uh, at this stage in the twilight of his career situation. Then we have our young lad, Adonis. Coming to the ring, uh, he squirts white liquid in his face. Uh, commentary then tells me very much so that he's drunk all the time. So, uh, not too high on Adonis with uh, with this whole drunk squirting um, questionable white liquids in his face on his entrance. Uh, but anyways... The, there was a good story told in the ring. Regardless, I really liked the Tank promo prior. That really got me invested in what he's going to do. Don't care about Adonis. He's just kind of the uh, guy in the way on the road blocking the path situation. So Tank gets beaten down looking for a tag partner. Uh, overcomes the lack of single stamina. Uh, and he wins via the choke slam in the end. Uh, if this leads to a singles run from Tank now, I am all for it. It makes sense with the story being told. I'm very curious to see how this plays out. If we can get a number one contender match, Tank versus Finn, or Tank versus Olisander, or Rick if he loses the title here. Uh, great. Fantastic. Singles match. Uh, Tank does win, by the way, via the chokeslam. Singles match. Captain Body Slam defeats the up-and-coming uh, young boy Eric Sable, or Zabal. I do like how Captain is spelled in Danish. It has the uh, K-A-P-T-A-J-N. I like that. Yeah, I speak German, so, it, you know, not the same. But Pre-match promo of Sable telling... I love this pre-match promo of Sable, because I have zero interest in Sable before I saw this promo. 
he's telling it how he trusts the super manager, Zach White. He's helping him train. He's helping him uh, know knows what he eats, watches him around the clock. Zach White is going to get him to the top just like he did with Michael Finn. I get the strange sense that White is using the poor young lad. Ah, it's probably nothing, though. No big deal. Sable should trust him. Let's just say Sable has a ways to go in the ring still. Uh, so the, the whole manager aspect makes sense, right? Sable isn't all that great in the ring. He is very young. He's inexperienced. He needs this veteran to get him better. Get him on top. So the finish is White basically costing him the match on a pin attempt. Uh, Captain Body Slam gets the win. Uh, singles match later in the show. Yern Simmons defeats Fight Mula. Good WXW showcase match here. If this leads to uh, Body Slam WXW kind of talent exchanges, I am personally very much for this. Michael Finn going to WXW. Bobby Guns and company coming to Body Slam. I would love that as a fan of the uh, Central Euro Graps here. Uh, then we had our main event, Body Slam title three-way match. Rick the Prick Dominic, our champion, defeats Michael Finn and Peter Olesander. Match goes 19 minutes. I, I do like that amount of time. Pretty standard three-way for a while. And then Olesander causes a ref bump. Ooh, this is where it picks up, boys. Emeritus immediately hits the ring. And this is when the match does indeed pick up. Lots of good high action spots. Each guy had their control moments, if you will. Favorite spot was definitely Rick the Prick X-Factoring uh, from the top of a ladder onto Olisander and Emeritus, as in the ladder went down and hit the two. Uh, Finn was no joke throughout this match, always factoring into both guys' offenses. Uh, in the end, after a Tower of Doom spot, Olisander gets uh, 6 one nine by Rick. There's a little miscommunication here. Uh, then Sunset German comboed by Finn and Rick, which is a, a cool little deal. They square off for a 1v1. Rick counters a corner Ozcutter, Osprey style, with a devastating combat boot to Finn's back. A fantastic looking move. Finn looks like he breaks in half. Uh, Prick Kick follows this move, pins the former champ, cementing him as champion that deserves it. A fantastic way to end the night, a good show overall. Rick pinning uh, Finn, I think, was the was the right move in kayfabe turns. Rick's got to cement his title. Who's better to cement the title reign than the guy who held the title for two years? You did beat Olisander, the chicken shit heel, already for the title. Got no issue with this. As a whole, this is my favorite full card body slam show to date. Mostly, mostly because each match, match in the card had a purpose and had an intriguing story to tell. And as usual, I'm looking forward to the next Body Slam show that goes up on WXW Now. I'm looking forward to it down the line. I believe a uh, match in a church with nice stained glass is coming up. Maybe, oh, maybe, hopefully, that will be the next one. Maybe that was this one. I just didn't notice. Regardless, next drop to play. Moving on with the show. Might be a longer episode today, boys, so strap in. Let's get this going. R-E-T. R-E-D indeed. That was PAC's music. Or Pac? PAC. PAC. 
Uh, so two Dragon Gate shows, not a big show. Uh, this in this two week span, uh, I watched Stormgate Day One, September 11, 2019, and Stormgate Day Five, September 17th, 2019. Uh, the the they had a few matches on the card, and it's of course my workout show. So anytime I'm riding my uh, my bike or uh, working out, I put on Dragon Gate. It really gets me pumped. Uh, ben K defeats Yash Yasushi Kanda in two minutes. Big enhancement match here. Uh, six man tag match. Red and uh, Diamante defeat Kenichiro Arai, Rio Saito, and Super Shisha in a twelve minute match. So Red's looking dominant still in the trios factors as they should. Uh, I always, you know, I wasn't into Ata at first. I didn't think he was as good as a lot of people within Dragon Gate, but his character work is utterly fantastic. He's he's the best heel in Dragon Gate, bar none with me right now. Uh, we had the Open the Dream Gate title number one contendership battle royal lasted 16 minutes. Uh, the guys involved were BB Hulk, Kai, Masaki Mochizuki, uh, Kazuma Sak- Sakamoto, Keizi, Shun Skywalker, and Takashi Yoshida. So no Yoshino, no Yamato, uh, no Dragon Kid, uh, no, no, none of the none of the other big names. It was a lot of guys that Pac had beat. Uh, I did like BB Hulk, uh, seeing BB Hulk in this, uh, especially coming back from injury. Um, very strange to see how Dragon Gate does things. It's like. They don't want to treat anyone stupid. So you have guys kind of hanging back, picking their spots, uh, not rushing things. There's combos and tag maneuvers of people that aren't in the same faction. You know, it's it's all people trying to, like, use each other in different ways. Uh, you know, double pin attempts kind of situation. Uh, much slower. You know, it, it, it's, it's intelligent wrestling. So I could see a lot of people not liking some things that Dragon Gate does, and this is a good example of that. Regardless, Masaki Mochizuki wins. I was thinking someone like KZ or Kai or even BB Hulk was going to be winning this match, but Masaki Mochizuki wins, so he's going to be the next opponent for our boy Ben K. I'm very interested. Uh, open the Brave Gate title match, if you remember from the last podcast, uh, Yosuke Santa Maria uh, attacked uh, Susumu from behind to get the Brave Gate title match kind of situation, challenge him, he accepted, and uh, I was not into this. It was 15 minutes of very much a lot of dragging. Susumu Yos- uh, Yokosuka did the best he could to, to carry Santa Maria around in this match. There was some good moments... I can't deny that. It was just too... I, I just can't get into the character of Santa Maria. I get why he, she exists. I'm not sure what the proper gender term is for Santa Maria. So forgive me. Uh, but Susumu retains. 15 minute match. And then, uh, much like... Th- this is something that's uh, I witnessed twice now. And that is... Ultimo Dragon has officially signed with Dragon Gate. So... The story being told, I'm having a lot of trouble keeping up with. Because in this one, it's Doi Yoshi and Yamato taking on Darkness Dragon, Dragon Kid, and Ultimo Dragon. I'll just skip right ahead to the next trios match that was on day five. That was Maximum taking on Kness, Ryo Saito, and Ultimo Dragon. 
all of Ultimo Dragon's matches are now going to no contests. And I'm not sure where this is leading to, because I'm not seeing any... Uh, I'm not seeing the crossover here and where it's leading to. So I'm just going to have to pay a little bit more attention, uh, maybe to some details that's happening. Maybe we'll get somewhere. Uh, a singles match on day five was Bigar Shimizu taking on Kota Minora. I really liked this 11-minute match. It felt like a TV match. A lot of these house shows Dragon Gate put on makes it feel like a TV match without the commercials. So, you know, if you're looking for an alternative to, to Raw or SmackDown, and you want to see faction warfare and kind of chill and not worry about bullshit promos all the time, uh, Dragon Gate's for you. I'm really, I'm really into it on a relaxed basis. Uh, tag team match, Mochizuki Dojo defeat Mochi, uh, the other members of Mochizuki Dojo. It's Keisuke Okuda and Yuki uh, Yoshioka. They beat Hio Watanabe and Masaki Mochizuki. So, Masaki Mochizuki goes from winning a battle royal, he's the number one contender, to losing, his team, his tag team losing the match here. So, I wonder where, this, where that's leading to. I don't like seeing people lose any match on their way to a title match. Uh, Ben K and Skywalker continue their tag team losing ways, uh, facing off against Diamante and Takashi Yoshida. So, that's something to think about. Maybe some dissension between Shun and Ben K not having, uh, any alliance with anybody. And then we had our main event, an excellent trios match, Tribe Vanguard, that's, uh, BB Hulk, Kai, and Yamato, defeat the trio team of Eita, Sakamoto, and Kanda. 15-minute match. Uh, this is the best one I recommend. Um, if you are Dragon Gate thirsty and you want a good trios match, this is the one for you. So, Dragon Gate, got your number one contender. You got some interesting uh, faction warfare developing here. Uh, see what happens with the Ultima Dragon no contests. Simple enough, right, boys? Moving on. Play that... Uh, Next drop, JD. Let's talk to myself in the third person. The best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. NWA Spotlight. Here we are. Best there is, best there was, best there ever will be. NWA US Champion Spotlight continues to the 15th uh, unique champion of the NWA US title. Going down the title holders list one by one. Till we get to, um, I guess, to... You know what? We'll stop at the end of WCW. That's what we'll do. Dick Slater, the 27th reign, beating Wahoo McDaniel to gain it. Dick Slater would reign for 129 days from December 14, 1983 to April 21st, 1984, losing eventually to Ricky Steamboat, of all people. Uh, Dick Slater... I know basically nothing about going into this. I knew basically nothing. Uh, as it turns out, I had seen Dick Slater many times prior, but he's easily forgettable, at least in my eyes. Uh, upon further research, turns out that guys like uh, Dusty Rhodes and... Oh, who was the big booker in Mid-South? Bill Watts, Mid-South. Dick Slater, uh, he was Mr. kind of reliable mid-carder that 
got a couple pushes in time kind of situation. That's the best I can put it. He he didn't spend too much too long in any promotion. It was always like a year or two. Uh, he was mostly in Georgia Championship Wrestling uh, throughout the 70s and early 80s until he started doing that two years in Mid-South and Mid-Atlantic and WWF. Uh, I ended up watching, as I do, I, I try and, you know, see a promo, how they, how they were on the mic, what feuds they had. Um, the best one I was found was when he, when Dick Slater was a tag team with Bob Orton. And that, uh, went onto a feud with Ric Flair where they attacked Flair to try and quote-unquote, end his career, and they used Dick Slater's pile driver, an illegal maneuver, as a way to, quote-unquote, hurt him. This was very much in line with the Harley Race bounty storyline that was going on with Ric Flair. So, so these two guys collected the bounty, and that would then see uh, Harley Race defend against Ric Flair uh, at a Starcade, and that led to Orton and Slater uh, facing off against Mark Youngblood and Wahoo McDaniel, the guy he beat for the U.S. title. So it all made sense. I watched a couple of those matches. I watched the tag team match, and I, and I really liked the um, singles match with Ric Flair. No shock. A Ric Flair match being good. Uh, very much always the other person was in control against Dick Slater. Uh, the better workers would carry him throughout matches and then you basically tell him when to hit his spots. That's what I got out of it. But he was very Mr. Reliable, it seems. Uh, he had a Southern Rebel gimmick in WWF that didn't lead to much. Uh, he did have one match with Jake the Snake Roberts in the 80s. I did watch that one. Um, and, you know, never got into Dick Slater one way or another. He shined a lot more in a tag team situation when he had when he would have a better a better charismatic partner. Um, would, he wouldn't be overexposed to moves when he was in the ring, etc. You know, it kind of goes goes along that that line. So, uh, not my favorite NWA US champion. He only held it the one time. So, uh, just quickly moving on. Nothing nothing else to say about Dick Slater. Uh, just not exciting. And this is the point now where I will move over to talking with my mom about Beyond Wrestling's All Hands on Deck show, getting ready. Uh, it's kind of their, I guess, go-home show and go-into show of Uncharted Territory Season 2 and uh, the Chikara show coming up, which I'm going to, the King of Trios tournament. Uh, my first solo Chikara show I'll be going to. I've only seen crossovers with Beyond. We're also talking MLW Fusion, episode 74 and 75, a.k.a. The War Chamber, 75. And when we come back, we'll move on with the rest of the show. Stay tuned.
Alrighty. We're back on the show. Redly Fretricast. It is mama time. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Mom, you're back for your second episode. Woo, 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 woo. <laughs> I bet you're super excited for it, too. I am. Pretty much. Yeah. What was that things. scream in the background? Huh? What is that scream in the background? Oh my god, Psycho Cat. <laughs> <laughs> she wants it in the rooms that she's not allowed, which is all of them. <laughs> I don't know what it my is. It, she does it to get attention, so then she gets attention. Is she still screaming? I can't hear her. <laughs> <laughs> listen closely you can hear your cat scream in terror <laughs> scream in want go cat <laughs> so AEW starts next week so in the next episode we get to talk about AEW going forward yeah that's That'd pretty be exciting. cool and I forgot uh, what does AEW stand for all elite wrestling all elite wrestling yeah it's um First episode's in D.C. The second episode I am going to is in Boston. Ah, okay. And then yeah. uh, why do they call it the Elite? Oh, because that is their group name that they started on the um, a lot of different wrestling shows and New Japan in particular. And uh, basically a bunch of these wrestlers got together and just um, started their own wrestling company. One thing led to another and they got this big deal. With TNT and the owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Okay, so um, the names on the elite, do we know them? I'm very familiar with like everybody on the roster. Why? You, Why are you on the familiar other hand, with them? Because they've been with uh, MLW or because some of them come actually from WWE or what? Uh, it's a mixture of everything. Uh, some come from Japan, some come from... There has been some that have shown up in MLW uh, for a time. Uh, we're actually going to see, uh, if you when we get there, Jimmy Havoc. Remember that name coming up? Okay. He uh, is from the UK scene, and he signed with All Elite Wrestling. So is MJF, uh, whom uh, I will okay. talk about here in a little bit. Uh-huh. Uh, so, All Elite Wrestling, very exciting. We're going to have to figure out a way to, to watch it, but we're definitely going to, and it's going to be, it's it's an exciting time to be a wrestling fan. Yeah. You probably would recognize, they're going to do a lot of things that I think you'll really enjoy, uh -huh. besides the women's wrestling. <laughs> uh, are they doing that too in the AEW? They have, they have, they're, they have women's wrestling, but I'm, I, I know you don't like women's wrestling, but I am curious of your thoughts regardless. Okay. I guess so. Okay. Do I, I have to so. talk about the women wrestlers? I really don't like what talking about women wrestling. It's gonna be a <laughs> it's gonna be an important part of the show to talk about. <sighs> Fine. Your opinion matters even if you don't like it. <laughs> even if I don't want to have an opinion, you mean. Oh How about that? okay, I can just say your opinion's wrong. How about that? <laughs> what? What? You're saying, Who said that? What? <laughs> Uh, and there's a lot of people in AEW from the Beyond Wrestling. Uh, that's the local New England promotion, the show I went to on Sunday at the beach. 
Uh, oh, so, well, what the heck? How many wrestling uh, companies? companies are there? There's like a billion. <laughs> but what are the top? But everyone, let's, t- uh, let's talk the top. What are the top four? The top four, I would say, well, All Elite Wrestling is basically immediately one of the top four now. Just because of their worldwide exposure, the talent there, um, the TNT deal is a very big uh, aspect of it. So they're up there. WWE is number one. There's no there's no one close to it. Uh, New Japan Wrestling's number two. And then besides All Elite, the fourth one's kind of... Hard to say, because everyone's kind of in the same boat of trying to make it or get bigger, grow larger kind of situation. Mm-hmm. My personal opinion is probably MLW is number four right now. For you or for in general? Um, I mean, it's my opinion, but I think in general. So the, the, the events that I went with you, was that MLW? That was Evolve, and <laughs> they aren't even, like, the same thing anymore. What happened? They had a bunch of attendance issues. Uh, they basically stru- struck a deal with WWE. Um, oh. And now it's basically become a kind of meet-and-greet WWE stars thing with wrestling to watch on the side. <laughs> Oh, well, and that's why you said that. Um, remember when we went and there was that one wrestler that I that I, I liked, I enjoyed. and um, Matt Riddle. Yeah, and he went with WWE, right? Is that the one Correct. who went with WWE? Correct. Same guy. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, it's the same guy. Okay, okay. Yeah. Wow. Well, that was quick because that's only been a... A year since I last went to an event with you. Yeah. Oh yeah. Even he less was, than um, a year, actually. Um, it's less than a year. Didn't we go to that show? No, we went to that show in July of last year, so it's more than a year. Oh really? How where did time go? Okay. Yeah, where did the time go? <laughs> so I went. So I went to Beyond Wrestling presents All Hands on Deck. It uh, took place in Westerly, Rhode Island, which is a really nice beach area. It's in the southern part of the state. And the event was on the literal beach at the uh, Paddy's Beach Club. So they put the ring on the beach. They put some um, uh, like guard ropes up so th- so the public beach goers wouldn't just walk into the event kind of situation. Uh, and that anyone who bought front, a ticket that was in front of the um, an actual place, right? The beach club. Well, it was it took place in the beach club. Oh, okay, okay. Right. Uh-huh. And they got the one area where you were on the sand and everything. So I took my shirt off, my shoes and socks off, um, put my shirt back on later in the event because the temperature dropped to like 50 degrees. <laughs> oh, geez. Well, you're on the water, you know, it gets cool when the yeah, sun it goes got, Yeah, it got cold. <laughs> but when the sun was up, it was yeah. just amazing. Well, it, it was a great, great experience. Yeah, I got, I got totally sloshed on a fishbowl. Just a giant drink. Yeah, so that's why you didn't come to Delaware and see me. Nice. Oh, uh, well, I got the ticket after. 
oh, even more knives. You, yeah, <laughs> thanks more a knives. lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could have come to Rhode Island and gone mm-hmm. to the beach with me. <laughs> <laughs> I could have had I known about it before I made my yeah res- my uh, plans. Yeah. That's okay. So let me just run down kind of what happened at the show, because it was very, very entertaining. It was just, it's, the way I can describe the show was, it's the conglomeration of what makes someone like wrestling. Okay. And it's the kind of event that will make a wrestling fan out of somebody. Oh, fun. So the first match was Chris Stotlander, a woman mother. What? Uh, Yes. <laughs> She was facing off against Alex Reynolds, a dickhead, if you will. He comes out Wait a with minute. like a. She's fighting a, against a guy. Yes. Oh. It was an intergender match. Oh lord. Okay. To look, That's they wrong. are about as big as each other. Oh my god. <laughs> so it's fine. Alex okay. Reynolds. Uh, let me describe this guy to you because okay. this this really set the tone for how fun this event was going to uh. be. Alex Reynolds is a bad guy. He comes out in a silk robe. And he walks real slow to the ring, and he and uh, his entrance song is Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra, what? Like, I'll have him. I'll I'll do it my way. Okay. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so he's walking to the ring. Chris Statlander. Everyone loves Chris Statlander. I'm a big fan too. Um, whole bowling team is actually named after her gimmick. Call ourselves the uh, the aliens okay. <laughs> with the bowling name in front of it. Okay. Um, <laughs> So Alex Reynolds is walking real slow to the ring, and in the front row, in the on the because you can get standing side or you can get seats. On the seat side, uh, there's two parents, and then like what must be a five year old girl. I've seen her five six year old girl. Wow, it's really pouring outside all of a sudden. Anyways, there's a fi- <laughs> five six year old girl, uh, and I've seen her before at quite a few shows. Okay, right. Uh, the last show I, re- I recall was from a show in, I think it was April, where this big six foot seven dude, Josh Briggs, um, was facing off against Chris Stotlander. She's even dressed like Chris Stotlander. It's quite adorable. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And he yelled at her from the, from the <laughs> ring to shut up because she kept cheering and she started crying. Oh, no. <laughs> And everybody in the audience cheered her on, tried to get her back, and then she just goes, I hate you, Josh Briggs, and everyone just goes, yeah! <laughs> the, all the, the whole people started chanting, we hate Briggs! We hate Briggs. And she got a smile on her face again. But it was So she's back, this five-year-old. Uh-huh. Uh, and Alex Reynolds is staring at her, because I guess they remembered who, who she is, <laughs> who this little girl is. Yeah. And he's staring her down, and the girl's like looking at her mom, looking back, and the mom... <laughs> gives Alex Reynolds the finger. <laughs> oh, <geez>. Right? Right. <laughs> and so she kind of like elbows the daughter and then the daughter looks at looks at the wrestler, looks at her mom, looks back at the wrestler and she hesitantly gives him the finger and then when everybody cheers, yeah! She just proudly presents it like as high as she could right in front of him and then he yes, <laughs> gives the wrestler the finger. I have a picture. Oh, classic. I have a picture. Wow. I should send you the picture, actually, because it's really good. You should. I'll do it right now. Yeah. <laughs> do it right now in real time. Oh, funny. Let me get it. I uh, gotta see this. 
<laughs> Where are you? There it is. Uh, sending yeah so that was that like set the set the tone for the entire night and or entire day sure um (laughs) it's great right (laughs) that is funny (laughs) yeah i posted on my twitter she's probably out mom can i do that (laughs) Well, yeah, she was like, am I going to get in trouble? Right? She was making that face, looking back and forth. It was great. <laughs> so they have a they they have a good match. Um, Alex Reynolds, uh, well, this guy named VSK comes out to interfere. And um, while the ref is distracted, Alex Reynolds, we thought, grabbed a fist, fistful of sand. Well, he actually, like, lit the sand on fire and created a fireball Whoa. in her face. <gasps> And that, and she, then she got rolled up and lost. So everyone was really angry. And it looks like they're, they're, uh, she's about to get beaten down by these two dudes, right? Yeah. And then uh, uh, the big metal music of Nick Gage hits, and this tag team of uh, Nick Gage and Thomas Santel. Santel's character is he looks like Marty, Marty McFly mm-hmm. from Back to the Future. Mm-hmm. He's a big nerd. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they come out and save her. Um, they're going to be actually uh, a, a triple team, uh, three, a, a trios team uh, at Chikara, another event I'm going to, uh, coming up here pretty soon. Mm-hmm. So there was some story going there. And then, so they chase the bad guys off, the two guys. And then they start looking behind me, because my back's to the ocean. And they start, like, yelling profanity. Like, what do you motherfuckers want? We're like, who are they talking to? We all turn, everybody in the audience, or at least on my side, turn around. Mm-hmm. We're like, who the hell are they looking at? And then there's the Cajun Crawdad and Murloc, a.k.a. the Creatures of the Deep, out from the ocean. <laughs> are they dressed appropriately, too? <laughs> well, they 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 look like sea creatures. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. That's their whole thing. And out from the deep, they're here to take them on because again, it's, it's telling a story of the Chikara event that's coming up. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So it was really cool. Everyone popped oh, really fun. hard. It was it, like, yeah. And that was just like the fi- first 15, 20 minutes of it all. Yeah. So you're like, this is wrestling. Yeah. This is fantastic. Yeah. 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 Dang. I really missed and, something then. Oh yeah. The, 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 the show just, Kept getting better and better with what they were trying to, to tell us. Uh, so Santel and Gage kicked the shit out of them. They win easily. Uh, next match was Casanova defeats a guy named Alex Zane. Uh, these two guys are big up-and-comers. This was a fun match. Um, Eric Stevens defeats K- KTB. It was okay. Uh, Eric Stevens is a guy who was like in retirement for 10 years due to injury, and now he's back again. Uh, then there was a six-man tag, two uh, two two teams of three against each other. One is Shark Boy and Team Sea <laughs> Stars. Well, they it was take appropriate on and- for the area. <laughs> oh, it, it, it was heavily appropriate. Shark Boy is a uh, is a veteran of years past, and his, his gimmick is he's a shark, right? Uh, but he's got but he's old now, so he's got a big gut underneath his costume. Okay. So they take on the team of Anthony Green and the Platinum Honeys. 
And there, so Anthony Green and the Platinum Honeys are dressed up like people from Baywatch. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, their whole their whole gimmick is Anthony's Green name is the retrosexual. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So he's his. It's all about calling on things of the past, retro, right? Very appropriate this podcast. <laughs> so they're all doing like Baywatch stuff against the the C team. Let's call them. Okay. Uh, there was even like, I'll save you, and he starts running really slow in the ring towards a person. <laughs> the highlight of this match was the uh, the two C stars girls take the platinum honeys out of the ring, and they just go. They just they did a couple moves and they go, we're gonna throw them in the ocean. <laughs> so they drag them all the way down the beach by the hair and they give them fisherman suplexes in the water, and then triple team Anthony Green in the ring to win. Really fun. Oh wow. Yeah, and then the rest the rest of the show was just straight wrestling. Uh, no, like comedy and fun was the first half, and then the second half was like all wrestling, all business kind of deal. So it gave you, and that was what uh, the intermission as well, right? There's intermission, yeah. which is fantastic. I love it because you know you're at like a three four hour show. Halfway through, you go and you know refresh your drinks. You're not missing anything. Get to relax. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is someone mowing the lawn yeah. at like five o'clock at night? <laughs> well, so <laughs> side note. So my my uh, lawn guy decided to get a job, and so. Um, but his job was mowing your lawn. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently he wasn't doing job. very well at it. It wasn't becoming lucrative, and it, it you okay. know, it, and being down here, it's pretty hot. So he he decided to take another job, and I and I well, what is it? Well, air conditioning and heating. <laughs> oh, okay. He moves from the grass to the air. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, well, okay. Uh... <laughs> All right. But good for him. So Joe, Joey, the neighbor, has to mow his own yard. Oh, okay. Well, forgive the noise, people. <laughs> uh, so just right quick, what, what what went down for the rest of the show was Kimberly defeats John Silver. I end up buying him a shot later, and that's when oh, I got nice. my fishbowl. Yeah. yeah. They gave me the fishbowl with, like, two shots on the side, and he was hanging out at the bar, and I just go... Mr. Silver, you want this? I won't be able to drink the second one uh, <laughs> unless I'm not driving home. And he goes, sure. So we did a shot together. Nice. Yeah, that was fun. What and was I bought the him shot? A Tequila? No, it was like some fruity thing. Oh, uh, okay. Yes. Yeah, it was like I wasn't feeling one of them, let alone two of them. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Kimberly defeats him. Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, I, I wouldn't have driven home. That was the thing. <laughs> I would have gotcha. been the problem. <laughs> Uh, Kimberly beats him by cheating. Uh, then there was the uh, independent wrestling title. War Horse Jake Parnell uh, won his match. Team Tremendous defeats Beer, Beer Country. Beer Country. Bear Country. <laughs> I like Beer Country better. Yeah, there's the Freudian slip for me. Uh, Chris Dickinson defeats Ken Doan. Really cool spot where he um, chucks the manager over his shoulders outside the ring onto the two guys. 
Nice. That was on the outside. That was cool. He lays out a challenge, and uh, Wheeler Yuta, who just watched, uh, lost the match earlier against Warhorse. Uh, so it looks like they're going to have a match at episode one of Uncharted Territory, which starts next Thursday, which I'm going to. I got season tickets to that. So, um, so the guys that were in Beyond Wrestling, and then you're going to have another one, uh, Uncharted ter- Territory. That's the name of the show that they're running weekly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do these guys also, are they in MLW at all? Or this is their own little thing for Beyond Wrestling. They have their own company and then you have uncharted wrestling and so beyond rest like they're all different companies but wrestlers are generally independent contractors so they can they get contracts or uh bookings uh for different promotions to wrestle Uh, for some guys have a promoter right yeah basically yeah yeah. to find the the gigs yeah yeah. Uh, the main event was Josh okay. Briggs taking on Maxwell Jacob Friedman, MJF, in his final match of independent wrestling before he goes on to AEW. So we'll be okay. seeing him. Uh, cool. This one was really fun. Uh, okay, so MJF is the biggest heel you've ever seen, like Ric Flair-type talking ability. He's what? He's like Ric Flair in the ring with how he talks and what he does and makes fun of people. Well, I don't think Ric Flair made fun of people, did he? Oh, the other wrestlers? Absolutely. He doesn't have the mannerisms, but when you see him on AEW, you'll get exactly what I I mean here. All right. Uh, So he had his final match on the Independence before going to AEW, and um, he lost, and then... Afterwards, uh, it was requested that everyone put their phones away and everything uh, because he's a bad guy and he doesn't want to, like, ruin his image. He cut a very, like, thank you type promo that the reason why he is a bad guy in wrestling is because he was bullied in school a lot kind of situation. And MJF. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of like his inspiration of his character that he plays. That okay. he wants to be the bully and be the best bully he can so he could, like, have fans hate him and want to see him get beaten up in him. Like, you know, you, you the fan, get the satisfaction of seeing the, the, the good guy win, right? Okay. Because he's such a bad guy that you want to see him lose. Okay. Yeah, it's very... And he it's, doesn't it's, lose? <laughs> well, he does lose sometimes. Okay. He doesn't lose all the time, otherwise you won't be able to hate him more when he wins kind of situation. Gotcha. So that was cool. No video evidence of it uh, that I know of, but I can recall what I saw, and it was very nice. <laughs> so was, was, but he, was he in Beyond Wrestling? No. Yeah. Yeah, he basically started in Beyond Wrestling, and he's only like 23. Wow. Yeah. Very young. Alright, let's, uh... So that was really fun. I hope they do something at the beach in the future. Uh, we'll see. Uncharted Territory starts next week. I got a couple... 
I got a couple members of my bowling team uh, coming with me. Alright, Mom. So, uh, hopefully the technical difficulties are over. Hopefully. There was, there was quite a bit of that for the Beyond segment. But yeah, I hope, uh, I, I'm looking forward to Uncharted Territory going forward through the year. Every Thursday night. It's going to be my new thing. And uh, I hope Beyond does more interesting venues like that in the future. Especially the beach. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, well, you can't do that in the winter time, so. No! <laughs> not in the winter. Although an ice-themed thing would be pretty cool. Yeah, no one would attend because it'd be too freaking cold. They did the Halloween one last year. That was a lot of fun. I bet that was chilly. Yeah. But there's going to be a Thanksgiving one that you're going to be here for. Oh? Yeah. You'll be going to an episode of Uncharted Territory. Oh. Uh, coming up in November. So that'll be fun. Nice. Where's yeah. it going to be? Uh, same place. It's the same venue each time. I know, it's but where is it? Worc- it's in Worcester, Massachusetts. Oh. Worcester. It's like in 45, 50 minutes north of me. Uh-huh. Yeah, not bad. Not bad at okay. all. Cool. What day is that going to be on? Thursday night. Every Thursday night. Uh, oh. At that location. Yes. But what's the location other than the city? It's called the White Eagle. The White Eagle. Yeah. Now, is that a... um, Like a... I don't want to, um... So it's a nice it's a nice pub bar restaurant hybrid on the bottom and then it has an a big upper level like a banquet hall that oh. it takes place in. Wow. Yeah. I hope the building's not old. <laughs> what, you're afraid people fall through it? <laughs> well yeah. The shit that they do. Yeah. Yeah. Well there was uh, there was some stuff in Uncharted Territory season one that if that didn't, if if they didn't go through the through the floor, then I don't. I think we'll be good this time. All right. So okay. let me play the music, and we can get start. We can get started on MLW finally. All right. All right. All right. That was the music of MLW Fusion. So why are we recording so late? You want to tell everybody why it took you so long to watch MLW? No. <laughs> no? You went to Delaware on a vacation. I did. That's what you can say. Okay, that, I went to... Why? <laughs> well, it took forever to get there. And I'm exhausted just thinking about it. <laughs> what can I say? Six hours to get... get over to the east coast from what is the Amelia mm-hmm. Superstorm Amelia that uh, devastated part of uh, Texas over here. Um, there, uh, what's what's sad about that is that the people that had just gotten in their homes in some of the areas that got flooded from um, two years ago, Harvey, yeah. Uh, they got, got flooded out again. They got flooded out again. You know, and, you know, there's some just we're we're just such a cement city that um, there's no we we don't get just a simple rain. We get a major rain. 
Yeah, cement city on a swamp. Yeah. It's a bad combination. There's just nowhere for the water to go. And um, anyways, it took me six hours to get out of Houston to get to Delaware. So I lost an entire day getting to Delaware. And um, and then I end up coming back on Sunday and I get a rain delay again. Well, uh, so getting here, back here, we're supposed to do it on Monday. Couldn't do it. I was exhausted. I didn't yeah, I don't blame sleep. you. Didn't get to sleep till five in the morning. And then I was like, oh, my God. It was a bad Monday. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> on top of I didn't have, um, I had forgotten my uh, tablet. Yes, oh, I, so I could have watched it on my little phone. But I didn't, I chose not to. And I was busy. And by the time I got got, got back to uh, where I was staying, I, I just wanted to watch a little TV and crash. Sure. I don't blame you at all. Yeah. So, so it took me uh, two, <laughs> two, two, well, actually three additional days to watch what I needed to watch. So. We're going to talk about War Chamber. Well, first we're going to talk about episode 74, the last oh. episode before War Chamber. Right. Yeah. Um, so, uh, started out with Jordan Oliver, young, dumb, out ah, for blood. Hold your horses. <laughs> what? Don't you remember Conan getting jumped by Promociones Dorado to start the show off? He's the guy with the with the phone who's threatening the the woman with a uh, a hand grenade of of uh, of, oh, of right, right. <laughs> horrible or something or or sexual pictures or whatever it is that's on the phone. <laughs> so she has all her goons, L.A. Park, Yo, Bestia, right. Say, Say, Say. Selena <laughs> gets her phone. phone. Away. Well, no, well, it's her phone that he had. Oh, okay. And he was, so and he was like, Reven- yeah, I didn't get that part. I, I, it didn't, I didn't, I didn't get it. So that's yeah, why that's, I missed it. <laughs> that's been going on for weeks now. But anyways, uh, it does beg the question why she just didn't have her boys jump him from the start to get her phone back. <laughs> Well, it's like anything, then it wouldn't have been fun. Then it wouldn't have been the journey of revenge yeah, porn. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so what do you think is going to happen next with the with the whole phone thing? Do you think he made, like, a copy of all the, the photos and stuff on it? Well, isn't that what everyone would do? Oh, of course. Yeah. You have evi- I mean, you evidence. you got to make copies just in case, right? right? Yeah. So, you know, you can blackmail and do whatever you want. Yeah, I, th- if I you think want, that's... If you want a, my copy... And then <laughs> you've got a copy of the copy. Yeah. <laughs> so it could go on for years. <laughs> it could go on forever, exactly. Oh, well, you know, it's wrestling, so it'd be like, uh, I challenge you to a match or something. My, my faction versus yours situation. Winner take all. And then they sign it. Anyways, Jordan Oliver, your boy. He's back. Your man. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Just, oh, my God. Uh, you know, um,. Uh, I I was gonna like those guys. <laughs> Injustice. Yeah. But they're just stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and he so you're, said you're... it. He's, 
he's young, dumb, and and it's, they're just stupid. You did say na- that. They're nasty. <laughs> yeah, I'm young and I'm dumb, and I'm out for blood. Um, who would admit they're young and dumb? Unless a young, young and dumb, and dumb. person. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> who does that? Unless you're young and dumb. Only young and dumb would say I'm young and dumb. So your excitement for Jordan Oliver lasted one week. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. He's got a long way to go. He's only 19. Uh, You know, he's, he's weak in his moves. He's, he's a baby. You know, um, I think all of them are, are just, they play for the, you know, I know. They they play that they you know they have no justice or you know everything's everything about them is, has been unjust and <laughs> see the cat even agrees the cat- <laughs> <laughs> the rain the, the rain outside my window the technical technical difficulties and the cat meowing all we're missing is the silver spoon and the man on the moon <laughs> oh lord. Well, anyway. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, basic match, not very good. I thought uh, there was the whole fake injury to distract the ref move uh, while Jordan Oliver's buddy attacks from the outside via chair shot. Roll up. We're done here. Situation. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, with the, the the cheap shot and the steel chair. Was that basic that? stuff. Yeah. yeah. Basic stuff. Yeah. All right, my yeah. turn. Low-key... Yes, Kitty, my turn. Can't have yours. <laughs> low-key is the best option against Contra Unit. This is the guy with the really low voice, and he's super serious. Right. Yeah. So Mr. Serious says, basically, whatever the outcome may be, gentlemen, I'm your best option, because he's the fourth guy in the war chamber... That we're about to talk about soon. And then we had our second match of the night. What was it, my mother? Brian Brian, uh, Pillman. Brian Pillman Jr. Versus uh, Richard Holiday. Yes, a Beyond Wrestling guy, I might add. Connecticut. And what? Oh, Uh, Beyond Wrestling guy? Yeah. Richard Holiday? Richard Holiday. People uh, people make fun of him. (laughs) Wasn't he a world tag team champ also? He is part of the tag he is a uh, tag team champ in mlw that is correct with mjf uh-huh and uh yeah so brian pillman jr is the son of i know shocking brian pillman whom was part of <laughs> the hart foundation in bret hart's faction okay right yeah, yeah. From you, might, the giant- you, you might remember brian pillman he was the the kind of crazy eyed, curly haired dude of the of the bunch. Maybe not. I know you remember Jim Anvil Neidhart. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's the same same group. British Bulldog, all those guys. Well, I'm gonna have to look him up then. Mm-hmm. What did you think of the match? Uh, let's see. Um, <laughs> that trophy was pathetic. <laughs> This rookie of the year trophy, mother. I know it was so little. <laughs> what? The rookie of the year deserves a big trophy. 
He's well, very proud of his Rookie of the Year trophy. You can't take that I, away from him. I know he is. I know. I know he was. But uh, <laughs> I just got a kick out of it. I think you had bigger trophies, honestly. Oh, from bowling? Well, I know I did. Well, yeah, you got a giant one. No, yeah. I'm just even in baseball, it looked like the size of I don't know. <laughs> I just thought it was kind of funny. I think that's kind of the joke but, too of why it's so small and he's so. and he acts like it's a it's a it's a heavyweight title <laughs> yeah yeah and uh well uh when uh holiday was on pillman and rubbing his face in the mat that had to hurt <laughs> yeah how could he what a what a uh, mean move to do huh what a mean move I didn't hear you, JD. You can't hear me again. I didn't hear you. Oh, this is horrid. It was it was a mean move by by uh, Richard Holiday. Yeah, it was really mean, and, and I, I'm like, <laughs> ouch. And then uh, Holiday with the uh, sharpshooter, and you know, like, but, then, but I did like the ending of it. If we're going there, yeah, go there. Uh, what happened? When Pill <laughs> Pillman threw the trophy at him, and then it gives him the low nut shot <laughs> for the win. You like oh, that? that was so pretty you, funny. So you like Brian Pillman? Funny. You like that? I like that. I cut. So it's well, called. Yeah, the... after he got the face in the mat thing, what an ass! <laughs> so I'm all about revenge. <laughs> I do like Richard Holiday's uh, wordage that he uses. He calls every all the fans consumers. Uh huh. Because uh-huh. he's, uh, right, he's right. yeah, because yeah. he's very marketable and he, he's uh-huh. kind of like this half promoter, half wrestler thing. I, I do like uh-huh. it. it's very uh, makes you want to boo him. It makes you happy to see him get punched in the nuts. You might say. There you go. See, that's what I like. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Man's but Warner it promo. Was, it still was entertaining, though. I mean, there, you you had some. Uh, good... It was a good match. It was a good yeah. match. I really I, liked. I it. did enjoy. I did enjoy that one. I do like seeing the good guy uh, be smart for a change, rather than say Gringo Loco earlier with the uh-huh. bad guys just hitting him with the chair off a simple ref distraction. Yeah. Right. Right. And and that's uh, I, that's why I don't like them. I I just think they're they're. They're dirty. They're nasty. They're and whatever whatever injustice they get, they, they deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think they're playing the gimmick correct. Then, if you're happy, yes, yes, they are. But, you know, but as you said, uh, they got a long way to go. Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah. Mance Warner promo after being in jail. Uh, you remember the uh, the mug shots, the goofy mug shots from uh, yeah. the previous week. Uh, yeah. He gives some thoughts over Jimmy Havoc, whom we will see eventually. And uh, I really like his, uh, I really like his promos, his uh, his his talking ability. He goes, "Old Mansers, I got I got to do a Southern accent because he's the Southern psycho after all." Uh, Old Mansers mind because he's already not right in the head. Manser couldn't drink and think in that cage, so he was clear minded <laughs> when coming up with a game plan to mess Havoc up piece by piece. He says. The Southern Psycho Old Mancer is coming to fuck you up, Jimmy Havoc. <laughs> he couldn't think and drink. He couldn't drink and think. I, I do. I, I, I like that. It was, it's good. 
It's almost like he's being himself. <laughs> right. I, I'm very uh, excited to get what you think of Mance Warner when you actually see him wrestle. What do you think of his uh, his little speech here? I like it. He's okay. all it's you know it's it's a it's good promo. It bring brings out uh, what wrestling's about for me, anyways. Bring it, bring it on. Bring it on, man. Bring it on, make brother. It, make it happen. <laughs> and then we got our last match, um, and this is interesting. So uh, let me just lay out because this probably made little sense to you. Uh, Alexander Hammerstone went to Japan for one of the companies uh, companies over there called Noah. Right. Because uh, MLW and Noah now have a partnership. So he uh-huh. went over there to compete in a big uh, big tournament that Noah holds. It's called the N1, Noah's number one tournament. Get it? Uh, so he's and facing... Are, and actually, um, that's one of the, where they had that event is where they have their sumo wrestling in Japan. They have a lot of big sumo wrestling yes. at that location. Yes, correct. Mm-hmm. Are you paying attention? <laughs> <laughs> well, I recognize it from something that I was watching. Oh. I go, oh, I know that place. So Hammerstone uh, faced off against a guy named Go Shiozaki. He's a veteran of NOAA. Okay. So this was a very Japanese audience. As in Japan? <laughs> it was the strangest show ever. Okay, so do tell. Well, it was because, you know, and and the announcers were, were you know, making a comment about the how polite they are. And, you know, you, you don't have the uh, interaction of the audience. As you do in America. Well, it's not the same, is how no. I better describe and, it. And I and I think it it kind of feeling of wrestling. Mm-hmm. There, it because it there there's no energy. It's a different energy. Different energy. It's like they That's should be doing taekwondo and everything slow, and and they were kind of doing that on the mats. And it was just odd. I didn't care for it. It's definitely odd the first time you see it. Uh, the more the more you are exposed to something different, obviously, the more you get used to it. And then, hopefully, in the direction of Your you start comments. picking out, yeah, you start picking out uh, what's good about it, what's not good about it. Um, why do you think all these Japanese people are into it in the same way? Because there were there were points in this match. Uh, hopefully, you caught this as well, uh, where Hammerstone, for example, attempted uh, to dishonor Shiozaki by trying to end the match using a burning hammer move. So the guy was on his shoulders, kind of upside down, torture rack Lex Luger style, and he was going to slam him down on the mat. Uh, which is the move that Shiozaki's mentor uses. Hang on a second. I'm I'm going to do something again. More technical difficulties. Sorry about this, audience. All right. Okay. Let me try that again. Okay. Are uh-huh. you back? 
Are you uh-huh. back, Duna? Yeah, I'm Duna. <laughs> yeah, I'm back. Okay. So, uh, Hammerstone tried to dishonor Shiozaki by using the move of his mentor, uh, and you could actually hear the audience audibly boo and gasp in kind of this dis- like soft disgust of it all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then when Shiozaki escapes the move, they all kind of went, oh, yeah, like situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they were they started you know, clapping in unison kind of situations. Very Japanese, right? Because uh, you don't hear the, uh, you know, in, in America, you get a lot of the uh, baiting from audience, a lot of swearing, a lot of kick his ass, or, you know, the same baseball chants over and over. This is well, awesome it's, Yeah, it's, the ener- it's a different energy. So that's something you have to... But the match ends with Shizaki going for the big clothesline. You know, rope right. to rope back and forth. And uh, right. he gets hit with a huge blackout knee, the jumping knee strike. And the dude just power bombs the hell out of him. Uh, match isn't over there, but he hits his big move called the Nightmare Pendulum to actually win the match. Uh, I'm kind of with you. I thought it was a little bit on the slower side. I'm not the biggest Shiozaki fan, but I do appreciate kind of what he brings to the ring. Uh, it was It was interesting to see this presentation well and the other thing is is uh if you've ever watched sumo wrestling um which i've only watched a few Mm -hmm. um it's that same energy it's very uh movement specific Mm -hmm. audience non-participation very um muted um I think it's more of a respect thing, yes. perhaps, right? I think you're absolutely um, right. And so, uh, because, you know, sumo wrestling is centuries, million years old, <laughs> right? And um, it, it has a high respect in uh, the culture. Absolutely. And so... I think um, bringing wrestling over there is a, is very different. Um, it's a, it's a, it's more physical, uh, probably meaner <laughs> in a sense compared to sumo wrestling. I think sure you know. Um, so uh, it, it's it's something that. Um, I don't think they're used to seeing, uh, you know, because of your sumo wrestling and, and you're thinking, well, then rest, it's wrestling, the word wrestling. Well, uh, it's a different style of wrestling. And I, and I, but I think they're trying to keep some of that, uh, sumo, you know, that feeling of sumo in there. And, and it's, it's just, it makes the, this type of wrestling slower looking because we're I'm not used to seeing that. I'm used to I I like to see action. This that is a Noah thing with how you how you're describing the pacing of it all and the presentation. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, it's very 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 good of you. Good on you for noticing such a thing. So what do you think of the show overall? The that show or yeah, that the, particular episode or the that per okay well 
Um, I enjoyed it. I, I liked it. It was, uh, I was exposed to something new, which mm -hmm. was the Noah thing. So that was different. And, and you said they're going to do that more often. Um, we're going to see more Japanese wrestlers more often. Okay. Uh, because of the partnership, whether, whether we actually see matches from Japan, I'm mm -hmm. not sure. Maybe not because who knows, you know, a lot, a lot of people aren't uh, exposed to Japanese wrestling unless you, you know, physically seek it out kind of situation. Uh-huh. You know, AEW has a lot of uh, Japanese talent. A lot of people that wrestled in uh, Japan. So you'll see a different type of wrestling in that sense. Uh-huh. Uh, but no, you're right. Noah is much slower comparatively to a lot of... Uh, Alexander and... and um, What's his name? Uh, Shiozaki. Sh Shizaki. You can call him Go. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Go. <laughs> meet head-to-head -head kind of thing going. And they would like, like do the eye-to-eye, head-to-head, you know, forehead-to-forehead. Yeah. That's, I think that's something that sumo wrestlers also do, do they not? Um, To start out matches, yeah. Yeah, they, uh, they, they look face-to-face. -face. They're on their... Uh, knuckles ready to the pounce situation. Um, you see, you see it a lot in like just face-offs, whether it's boxing or it's it's a it's definitely a fighter's stance situation. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was kind of different too. Yeah. It's yeah, wrestling's changed a lot in the past twenty years. Yeah, it it has. <laughs> I, 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 I got to get used to that slap, bitch slapping stuff going on. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, I just, uh, that, wow. <laughs> well, God, my God, they're, they, they're all red because they've been bitch slapped. <laughs> <laughs> Too like how you call it that. Um, it will now be called the, the bitch slap from now on. <laughs> Not the chop, the bitch slap. Cause Ric Flair used to do the chops. The big chops. Uh-huh. But I think they're they're bitch slapping too much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because right. it's really used a lot. It's it's well, a it's a it's a big thing these days. I really it like it is. because it, it makes <laughs> it brings more physicality to it, like actual physicality. Well, and I'm used to more action, not bitch slapping. Sorry. Mm. I just, uh, I, yes, you can say that they, you know, Ric Flair did it or, you know, the other, but not like they do what I'm seeing today. I just don't remember that. <laughs> like that's the main, their, their main thing, you know, instead of, instead well, no one can uh, punch anymore. It's, it's almost like wrestling's evolved from the fake punch, you know, mm -hmm. making the fake punch look as real as possible. Right. To now you just do the bitch slap <laughs> as hard as you can and be as intimidating that way. Well, they do the bitch slap and then they do the 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 elbow thing to the, the, yeah, to the face. Yeah, the for, the forearm to the neck and face yeah. is a that yeah. is a big Japanese thing that started. Yeah. They call it, it's called strong style. Uh-huh. And uh Europe does a variation of it uh where it's the combination of the kind of more focused on the bitch slap 
than the forearms, but they'll do both. And it's now becoming a big kind of focus in America here uh, because it's it gets such a good reaction out of a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. War Chamber. Well, it got a reaction here. out of me. <laughs> yeah, it, it certainly did. Uh, we'll just go through this really quick because, honestly, I don't have a whole lot of lot to say about the War Chamber. But you... See, I liked it. I'm sure you... So, I'll, I'll just well, get my I thoughts. Well, I liked it sort of. I liked it sort of. And then the other part, I, I'm like, uh, I thought I was watching MMA. All right. So, just right quick. Zelina De La Renta announced she comes out um, first. Uh, L.A. Park ca- uh, crashes the party, beats the shit out of this nobody in the ring. Zelina says uh, he will cash in his title shot at the November 2nd pay-per-view against Jacob Plateau, the champion. So, calling her shot, getting her, uh, getting her man on top kind of situation. We had a squash match. Leo Breen of the, or Brienne, or Brian, whatever his name is. Brian. Yeah. Well, it's spelled like B-R-I-E-N. It's really weird. Oh, I thought it was uh, B-R-I-A-N. But, yeah, okay. Impossible. Whatever. Semantics. Either way, <laughs> Leo of the Dirty Blonde squashes some no-name dude, Brandon Banks. Um, so that ended. And then we got onto the War Chamber. The, the 12-year-old. Of... Right. <laughs> yeah, he... <laughs> Child abuse. <laughs> yeah, it was bad. <laughs> yeah. War Chamber time. Uh, the Von Erichs and Loki and Tom Lawler taking on Contra Unit, uh, Fatu, Ikuro Kwan, uh, Simon Gotch, and Joseph Samael. So, I th- was pretty bored throughout the most of this, and it didn't. I didn't. I got very little reaction through the out enti- throughout the entire match. It was over thirty minutes long. It was really long. Um, it basically ends with, with a, uh, doomsday iron claw on Simon Gotch for the submission. Uh, and then at one point, Kevin Von Erich, uh, he accompanied his sons to the ring. He was, he got a big pop in Dallas, a uh, big Dallas wrestling legend. He prevents a masked intruder from, in, from interfering in the match with the iron claw. And then nothing came of that. So I don't know if we'll ever go back to the masked intruder, who that could be. Or what role it's going to play. Uh, but it did serve as a pop for Kevin Von Eric to put on his Iron Claw. Your turn. What did you think of this entire show? The War Chamber itself. All that. Because you said you liked it. Well, I I, I liked... I was liking it. Mm-hmm. Because there was... A, you know, in the beginning when they were um, getting the guys into the ring to make it the four-on-four... Um, but I found it confusing. Do tell. Uh, it, there are, so usually you have teams going, you know, like two on two, or you'd have somebody attacking somebody. There'd be ta- teams going against somebody. And it was like more on one on one on one on one. And so it became confusing in the ring, and and I and I thought it was kind of entertaining to see um, who was who was going after Lawler's ear. <laughs> I was right, like the, the big cauliflower ear. <laughs> what is it? What is this Tyson in the ring? <laughs> what the hell is that? And and so 
I'm not sure where the blood came from, where all that blood came from off of um, uh, Samuel. Yeah, Samuel. Yeah, Samuel got busted open something fierce in this match. But uh, where, I, where? I missed it. And then I saw it was like, I'm not sure that he actually got hit somewhere because I saw it was, you, you ever see those, um, those fake blood balloon things? So it's like he got hit on the head and then somebody went pop on it on top of his head. <laughs> so then it drained all over his face. Because I don't, I didn't see where that happened. That that he got all that blood. Where, where yeah, kind of happened. Yeah, it kind of happened off camera. Yeah. Um, so where did that got, happen? Well, he what? got hit with something, and that busted him open pretty bad. But um, where? Where he, did he cut did himself? It? He cut himself, and he cut himself too deep. He 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 did what you call bladed. <gasps> Did he blade on on the, from getting onto the barbed wire? Uh, I don't think it was from the barbed wire, but regardless, he did get he did bleed <laughs> some blood quite a lot, and uh, he he had the crimson mask heavily. Yeah, it was it 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 really detracted from the event. You think See? so? I, I, I guess because he was the only one that had it happen to him, and you you know why it happened, but you you don't you didn't see what happened, right? And uh, I want to know, <laughs> I want to know how it happened, where it happened, and you know, uh, it, I and, and then uh, and then after watching that, and then seeing the the the. Uh, the ear getting bit <laughs> and and i'm just trying to follow somebody doing something fantastic and i really didn't see a whole lot i saw a lot of bitch slapping again you know but um this was a case where they were it it, it seemed really out of place cuz the whole idea of the war chamber is it's a fight right it's my team versus your team the whole idea is to make someone quit, right? And they're busy chopping each other in the chest rather than, you know, pulling the barbed wire from the top of the cage or, uh, you know, exposing turnbuckles and trying to make people bleed. You know, it, it was it was lacking. Like you said, you were waiting for something fantastic to happen or trying to watch out for it, and it just never got there. Right. It, it, was, it, it was ultimately lackluster but, you know, they built it up, and I was really, I, I honestly expected Contra to win. Really? I did. I, I really did. Because I, I just didn't see the the Von Erichs as dominating. You know, it's funny you mention that, because the Von Erichs came out, well, at least uh, Marshall Von Erich was the first one to enter. Mm-hmm. And he didn't get a big reaction. His nope. his. His dad sure did because he's right. a legend, right? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if that was a good decision to bring in the legend. Uh, I think it really took away from his sons who were being built up as big stars. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But yeah, they, I be, agree. Yeah, um, Marshall just didn't come across as the big deal, not like his dad did, and I don't. I generally don't like that. Uh, 
they just they weren't dominating in the match until the very last little spot where they they won. The- See what they did at the end. I would have liked to have seen more of that in the beginning, in the middle, you know, and then and and, and make it look like you're gonna win. That's why. Yeah, I, there I, was no story being told. Like if they were no. trying to go for the Iron Claw the whole time, right. just never been able to get it in. Maybe, maybe one of them gets it in midway, but the other one wasn't able to lock his in, so that prevented the win. And then at the very end, they do this, where they do the the Doomsday Iron Claw. They both got him in. Uh, that I mean, the dad's outside. Maybe that's when the masked intruder tries to come into the ring, and the dad also puts his. So the three of them all have iron claws in. Right. You know, that's a story. I didn't right. get any story from this at all, other than no. the fight itself, which was built up very well. That's why this was such a letdown for me. Yeah, yeah, and that's why I say, you know, I was honestly, I was expecting Country in it to win. I think yeah. they should have won. I think that, yeah, I think uh, the I way this came do. across, I think mm-hmm. Contra should have won. You know, Jacob mm-hmm. Fatu does a big, big backward moonsault uh, from the, the from the top the of the cage action. again. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, maybe a callback to how, they de- how he debuted in the first place, taking out Lawler by jumping off the top of the cage. You yep. can have Lawler spit up fake blood everywhere, be like, oh, it's devastating, or he does it to both guys. Right. You know, he is the champion after all. Make him look dominating. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yep. I, I you know, um I I liked it. Like I said, I liked it in the beginning, but then it became I, I didn't like it that much. Yeah, and then I, I, I was yeah, I was yeah. I was disappointed. So who is Mother's favorite wrestler over the two shows now? Because last time it was Jacob Fatu. Is he going two weeks in a row, two episodes in a row, or do you have someone I, else now? You know, I I I like I like Fatu. You still like Fatu? I do like him. The big Samoan werewolf. Yeah, I I I like him. I I I would like to see more action from him. I would like to see more. Um, well, I'd like to see more action from anybody, really. I'd like to see more uh, pile drivers and, you know, um, flying off the ropes and oh, you're and gonna clotheslining. And- Have you watched the latest episode yet from this past Monday? No, I didn't. Oh. So I'm going to like gonna, it? You're going to like that show. Okay. Yeah. Teddy Hart is back. MJF is there. There's a oh, big- okay. Two yeah, out yeah. of three falls match. Yeah. Teddy Hart is, yeah, he's a high flyer, a lot of pile drivers. So, <laughs> well, see, and that, that was, uh, Brett the Hitman Hart and Owen Hart, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I, I just, different think, kind of flying off the ropes back then. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, I'm looking for, uh, I, I want to see action. I want to see, um, more of more more moves instead of all the slapping going on. I'm I'm just a I, I like the moving and groovings, not the slapping and whack whack whack. Oh, whack whack whack. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to your thoughts over uh, the next couple MLW shows and the 
first episode of AEW. Yeah, that's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to that. And um, that's that's uh, going to be exciting. I, I hope they do well. I really do. I do as well. I, ho- I hope it's successful. I hope it puts um, uh, WWE on notice. Yeah, I, that's the spirit. That. It's a it's a wrestling war again, after all. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> but um, yeah, we got to again. We got to find a way to watch that together. We were looking into Hulu TV that has TNT. Um, in some in some former fashion, it is a two hour show, but because, well, we don't have cable because it's twenty nineteen. <laughs> <laughs> we won't watch commercials, we, so that's like we cut an, the cord. <laughs> we cut like 30, 40 minutes of the show right there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Isn't that the truth? So that'll be nice, uh, at least. So you're increasing, you're increasing your wrestling uh, over two weeks to uh, like two hours. Will you be able to keep up? I'm hoping. I'm hoping. <laughs> All right, Mom, it was good to have Hi. you back. Hey, thanks for having me. The audience Enjoyed will it. hear from me again in a couple weeks. Perfect. Alrighty, Manami Toyota, really getting us going. All Japan women's classics from Puroso Dream and Samurai TV. Episode 3, got some dates here. This show, this classic show, was the Crush Gals Showcase. (laughs) Uh, We start out in 1984, uh, June... no, October 6th? Ah, shit. It's either June 10th or October 6th. Whatever, it was many years ago, decades ago. 3A Tag Team Championship, Crush Gals versus La Galactica and Lola Gonzalez. And those joining me for the first time, the Crush Gals is the tag team of Lioness Asuka and Chigusa Nagayo. So a lot like the previous uh, title match uh, that we witnessed in Episode 2. This was 2 out of 3 falls. The first fall happens rather quickly. Chigasa gets stiffed in her nose quite hard after a quick Asuka rundown. Uh, Chigasa tags in for a high-angle belly-to-belly for the pin, as pin one. La Galactica and company with uh, Gokumanto, uh, just to go nuts with interference uh, to all the crowd's hatred. Uh, super hot with just hot fire wanting the Crush Gals to make their comeback. Just screaming all the way, uh, which is funny because... We just got talking with my mom about MLW showing the match in Noah and how everyone's very quiet and respectful and will pop every now and again uh, and how that's their way. Well, shit. Couldn't tell me that's the same because here in all Japan, uh, women, they are screaming their heads off and hate the heels with all their might. And La Galactica really gets the heat. That is undeniable right now. So, after all the beatings from seeming, from the seemingly six-on-two situation, uh, La, La Galactica hits a top-rope tombstone slam uh, to win the second fall. The unfairness continues on with the third fall. Or, yeah, into the third fall with Gokumanto. 
beating down Asuka on the outside while Chikasa gets beaten down by Galactica and Gonzalez. So fans are screaming. They're just pelting the ring with garbage, seemingly. Chikasa gets busted open, and now streamers are being thrown in uh, as to go along with the garbage. Asuka got busted open crazy in the brawl at outside at one point, so they're just bleeding crazily. Then they start making their comeback. Once the ref gets, I will use this as loosely as possible, control, because there is no such thing as control in All Japan Women, very much like Oz Academy. Uh, they bloody back their opponents, then they just run roughshod on them, Chikasa, Chikasa with her submission and kicks, Asuka with the best big swing ever, a big swing that would make Cesaro of today's age look like a small child, and how he just needs to get on her level, Asuka gets the win off an exploding back suplex, cool move, crazy match, crowd adores this win. Awesome. Followed by a special singles match, it's Itsuki Yamazaki versus Yumi Ogura. Now, I am not familiar with either one of them. I do know Yamazaki. I know of her. Know she was part of the Jumping Bomb Angels, the famous tag team that wrestled in the first Survivor Series for WWF. Holy crap, where has Yamazaki been all my life? Fan-fucking-tastic in the ring. I loved her. This was a special singles enhancement match, is how I should should claim it to be. She wins off a double arm suplex, ring comp style, into a cross arm wrestling pin to keep her down on the mat. Yamazaki, simply enough, puts on a wrestling clink against enhancement Yumi Ogura. Wasn't able to find much on Yumi Ogura. Maybe I'll f- keep seeing her in the future. So that was that show. Then it goes to another show from uh, 1985, January 5th, Cork and Hall. 3A Tag Team Championship, Crush Gals versus Gokuanto, uh, Dump Matsumoto, and Rossi Moreno. So we're back here with uh, Super Heels against our beloved Crush Gals. This was a hardcore match, as far as I could tell, since both parties were here to raise hell. Uh, Crush Gals literally have straps in the ring ready to go. Quick fall, uh, number one from the Crush Gals via falling reverse pile driver. Dump quickly gets the second fall using brass knuckles to the audience's total fury. Third fall goes to a double countout controversially as Asuka looked to barely beat the 20 counts, but the ref says no regardless. A hot, hardcore rivalry match. Fun. F-U-N fun. 1985, January 6th, so the very next day, still at Corican Hall. Crush Gals versus the Jumping Bomb Angels. Oh my god. Yes, it's Chigusa Nagayo, Linus Asuka taking on Norio Tateno and Itsuka Yamazaki. This was simply a women's wrestling clinic. It holds up to this day better than any women's match I've seen. Uh, fuck. I can compare them to more than half the women's matches I watched today. This is better. <laughs> Even from an athletic standpoint, it's crazy how awesome that is. Yamazaki pins Chigusa in fall one with the reverse falling pile driver. So, a little callback to what we just saw the day before. Uh, second fall is won by Asuka via the assisted super backdrop. Third fall was a hot back and forth ending with Yamazaki versus a Chigusa 1v1. I need this. I need a singles match of this immediately. So good. It's so good. 
I was wondering before this match started why Chigasa was uh, more heavily cheered than Linus Asuka. I totally see why now. Got to this match. The singles exchange clearly shows the level Chigasa was at uh, above Linus Asuka. Linus Asuka had her moments. She stuck to him. She knew her role. Chigasa had the total package at this point. And the crowd knows it, right? Yamazaki has that presence and poise to match that. Uh, I really want the singles match badly. Chigasa wins fall three and retains the titles off of the Kento Miyahara package German suplex. Uh, this is a must-watch match for all, not just women's wrestling fans, but wrestling fans. Unless you're like your mo- my mom, who uh, doesn't like women's wrestling at all. And speaking of women's wrestling, I got started to talk about the five-star Grand Prix. Oh my god. Mayu Yutani, here we go. It is the Stardom Five Star Grand Prix. It rages on. It rolls on, if you will. Oh, everyone loves that wordage. This is getting us to the halfway point. Previous podcast, we discussed days one and two, and uh, day three, day show. And now we're on to day three, Osaka night, August 25th. Oh my god, it's on my fucking tablet. The notes. Ah! knew I put the, this day on my notes. I've totally forgot about it. Ah. Oh. Now I got to bring it up. Ah, oh. I was watching I was watching this this uh this particular stardom show on my tablet here. And now I got to bring it up. Oh, what a disaster. Bear with me. No, I'm not cutting this out. It's too good. <laughs> uh stardom 5 star Grand Prix night Three Osaka. Uh, so we got uh, Tam Nakano versus Azumi. Tam flutters across the screen. I'm just going to read this verbatim because I wrote this like a novel kind of situation. Tam flutters across the screen like a bird. Then she says she is a buttonfly instead of a butterfly. Take that for what you will. <laughs> and says Azumi must get real good at her insect catching this summer. Very strange. I think the winds are getting to Tom Nakano's head. So these two put in a sprint match, very Azumi high-speed style. Tam's ability to wrestle her opponent's style and any style rather than her own is quite something. Very impressed. Tam wins via round kick to bridging German. Tam Nakano gets another win. Great showing from Azumi. Yet again. Then we had Hana Kimura versus the evil bean sprout Saki Kashiba. Well, Hana fights before the bell. Makes sense. Before Saki can do her evil things to her. Uh, after a beautiful vertical suplex, a, a move Hanakamura makes look effort, effort, uh, effortlessly. There we go. Got the word out. I can speak. Saki pulls her hair into the illegal revival pin to win in eight seconds. Another shocking quit upset by the Yankee devil, Saki Kashima. Jamie Hayter versus Natsuko Tora. Hayter's promo gives everyone deserving middle fingers about how she wouldn't win all her matches. This match was very just passable. 
Little bit of hardcore mixed in. Hater continues to look good. She's looking more fit as the weeks go on. Wins off a suplex uh, Hiroshi Hiroshi. Uh, yeah, Tora eats another loss, as she deserves. Mayu Iwatani versus Natsu Sumire. Recap to one year ago. Natsu tried locking Mayu outside the building to get a count-out win, but failed. I highly recommend that match. It was amazeballs. Uh, but she did end up failing. Natsu says this year is different. A day of fate. She is serious. Match goes pretty short into a flash pin on Mayu. As it turns out, Natsu has been researching Mayu for a year as she's cutting this promo. And we can assume she watched the Saki-Mayu match because she won using the same damn pin, the Revival. She revels in her win, and then Saki gets on the apron to complain about her using her move. Natsu claims she doesn't need permission to use a wrestling move, like Saki doesn't need, need, need permission for elbows and all those other moves that she uses. Ah, makes sense. Then references Twitter how this has all come up, and calls her a Yankee herself. I popped hard. I laughed. Oh my god. Ha ha ha. Natsu lays out the challenge for their five-star singles match at Nitsutetsu Hall. I hope I pronounced that right. Her revival finisher versus Saki's. Glory awaits down the line. Anticipation is heavy. Utami Hayashishida versus Konami. Simple enough, solid. Konami wins off her triangle answer. Immediate tap out. First loss for Utami. There we go there. Then we get B Priestley versus our very own Jungle Kiona. Kiona wants her red belt connection at least after starting the five star with two straight losses. Remember Now, audience, listeners, remember her long history of beating champions to earn a title shot. She's very successful at that. But of course, always ends up losing in the title match itself. Hard power-driven match that ends with a B top rope double stomp to apron-bound Kiona. They break uh, outside to the count. Uh, Kiona counters a blackout knee into an apron powerbomb, and she gets the countout victory. There it is. As fate would have it, B Priestley loses. Jungle Kiona wins. And that was my only one, only uh, show I took notes on the tablet. Don't worry, that wasn't awkward at all in a live recording. No, I'm not cutting it out. I'll reiterate that. Day 4, Sendai, September 1st. Yes, we're at the end of September here. I gotta catch up on my 5-star. But I wanted to devote all the time possible because the 5-star deserves it. Mayu versus Avery. Avery pronounces pre with the X, so she says pricks. So you know she's a heel. A good outing from Avery. Her best match so far to show off her offense here. Mayu proved too much for her, as expected. Wins off her gorgeous moonsault. Tam Nakano versus Momo Watanabe. Tam is in very happy-go-lucky moods while wearing a shirt that says Deathmatch on it. (laughs) Uh, Momo references their Loser Leaves Faction match from January 2018. Tam references their White Belt match from January 2019. How did this encounter fare? Well, they did what felt to be a 15-minute match in 9 minutes. The story I took here was this was a strike battle, and whomever can get their key head kick in, wins. And sure enough, Tam finally hits one, then a Rainmaker spin kick into her Tiger Suplex to win. Momo slaps her hand away in frustration after the match, 
Momo's not in good good graces. Tam, Tam's winning ways continues. Holy shit. I love it. So Tam went from a high-speed match to a kickoff against Momo. Is she not the most diverse worker in stardom? I say it's hard to argue right now. She's sure proven it in the five-star. Utami versus Jamie Hayter. Jamie remarks Utami as a as the mortal enemy in stardom. They are 50-50 against each other, but she will be the one to ruin her. Classic heel versus face situation here. And even at that, an even bout. Hater wins in the UK. Utami wins in Japan. Now they're in the tournament. Does give Utami a wet willy in this match. How dare she. Power move exchanges until Utami hits her spinning torture rack bomb for the win. So Jamie Hater's losing ways in Japan to Utami continues. Does this set up now a match for the EVE title? Konami versus Arisa Hoshiki, a rematch of the Cinderella Tournament's finals from earlier this year that saw Arisha, Arisa go over and then win the white belt. So Konami counters after counters Arisa's kicks. Knee strikes throughout the match, using variations of stretch mufflers, slowing Arisa down. Now where have we seen this before? Ah! The Jungle Kiona match. A variation of their first bout. Will Konami make the same mistake? As she did prior, and Jungle Kiona prior to her at that, her faction leader. So this was, of course, to make the strikes weaker. Arisa does hit her two blackout knees in combo into her Brazilian kick. The very combo that won her the white belt in the first place and successfully defended over the summer. She goes for one more blackout knee in which she went to the well too often as did Kagetsu, to put Konami away and paid for it, falling to the Triangle Lancer with the leg lock combo this time. Uh, great match. Eight minutes. Konami wins. Ooh. So, this tells me three things immediately. Konami is going to be there on the final day. I still have my doubts, heavily doubts, that she's going to get into the finals, but now I have heavy doubts that Kagetsu and Arisa are going to be in the finals. Because I thought Arisa was just going to go on a tear here and go on and on and on and maybe lose on the last day and not get to the finals to whoever beats her. Now I'm very much questioning that with this Konami win over her. That puts in some interesting tie-breaking situations. Kagetsu versus Andres Miyagi. This was a strange match. Kagetsu owns 90% of this match, with half of it as a grapple exchange. Then it was all Kagetsu, but loses after missing her 450. She gets tombstoned. Match over. Andres Miyagi wins. So now, this confirms my worry that Arisa and Kagetsu will not be in the finals. Will they be in contention to get into the finals? That can still happen. But now we're four days in. They've lost too many matches. I think it's safe to say that they're pushing somebody else here. I don't know who that is. Because I still have my doubts over it being Konami. Uh, I think Utami is definitely uh, that person beating Jamie Hayter. Because Jamie Hayter was there 
to take losses off the bigger opponents. Uh, who could it be? I don't know. It, it's day, day four brought in a lot of questions for me. Uh, day five, Shinkibus, September 7th. Uh, this is Red Stars block matches. Um, Hazuki defeats Natsu Sumire in four minutes. They had a 90s four-minute match, basically. Uh, each hit their offense. Hazuki wins off a Brain Buster. Totally down if this is officially her new finisher to go with the uh, Okada roll. Uh, Hanakamura defeats Avery in six minutes. Avery's having a small crisis, being stuck at zero, and the only one at that. But Hana is very cheerful as ever. Twinkle, twinkle, this is my five-star. Uh, these two have a solid match. Avery's new best performance, so she's getting better. Hana wins with her octopus to bow and arrow lock. A sick finisher, I might add. So, Avery's looking better and better in the ring. She's getting better with the Japanese style. I sense a string of wins coming up, and she's going to be facing lower-end opponents down the line as well. Uh, Momo Watanabe defeats Azumi, so that moves Momo to 6 points, Azumi stays at 4. They go 10 minutes, 27 seconds. First time these two have faced off in a singles match together in 2 or 3 years. For someone who wasn't originally supposed to be in the 5-star at all, I am so happy Azumi is in it now. She has shined so much more than I was expecting, and this match was awesome. She was like 90s Rey Mysterio Jr. going here. And Momo played the Dean Malenko role, if I could be so bold. This was about high speed, kicks, and putting New Japan stank on it, right? Azumi hit her running springboard crossbody, the knee-breaking double stomp from across the ring, and even hit the big ma- uh, big Mysterio pop-up electric chair Hurricane Rana flashpin moment. Uh, that got a big pop out of me. I thought she was going to win the match there. Momo hung in there, picked up, picked her spots, kicked very hard, wins off a cross-face chicken wing. I love that she's using this as a submission finisher. This was, indeed, my best bout of the tournament right now. Followed by uh, Konami Arisa, that match, and Hazuki Momo. The, uh, the big hair-pulling grudge-type match. So, those are my top three in that order. Uh, Kageitsu defeats Jamie Hayter in a four-minute match. Very disappointing. Short and sweet. Epic green missed shot by Kageitsu on Jamie. 450 wins it. Jungle Kiona defeats Na- Natsuka Tora. Uh, 837. Big-time match here, funny enough. <laughs> I know, because Natsuka Tora never wins. As she should not. She is not good enough. Kiona goes over her history with Tora. Over the last year, she has gone 0-2-1 against Tora and never winning. Uh, they have a brawl fitting uh, of their history. Tora hangs her with her five-star shawl and even takes her outside the venue and throws a bucket of water at her, going for the count-out win. Kiona does, in fact, beat the count-out, stops a spear, wins off the gut-wrench last ride powerbomb, as long as Tora has a brawl, then her matches are fine. I am fine with watching those. Don't have anything else or you end up with that Arisa match from the Osaka Day Show. <laughs> uh, then we get a new contender for my top match. Mayu Iwatani taking on Tom Nakino, 11 minutes, 14 seconds. Tom speaks in a riddle to continue her strange promos. Take that for what it's with. 
What it's worth, she feels like this five star is like picking up pieces to a puzzle, and God has brought this moment to her. What puzzles will Tom Nakano pick up this time? And then we have Mayu giving a super airheaded promo, even more than usual. So airheaded to the point she spaces out and gets distracted, clearly by Saki Kashima. There was no other culprit in this matter. So this match, Tam goes to match Mayu kick for kick and flying crossbodies from the top to the floor. So here's Tam Nakano again, going with the opponent's style. So we've seen three matches from Tam Nakano, three totally different styles. Crazy. I'm marveling at it. Uh, The mid-match foreign exchange in particular was hot, hot, hot. Nakano looked to have the match won after dodging a top rope moonsault uh, with a flash magic, but Mayu barely reverses that with an arm sweep, uh, something you don't see a lot of, I might add. Uh, One kick, one moonsault later, a mighty beauty of a moonsault at that into a delayed dragon suplex. Mayu wins off that. Nakano has crushed it. What a turnaround compared to just last year. Then we get Arisa Hoshiki uh, taking on B Priestley. Champion versus champion here. White belt versus red belt champion. Very exciting. And it was just that exciting. It was a lot of counters and misses. Fitting for two champions going against each other. Very defensive, right? The end sequence was each going for their blackout knees and hitting, uh, but not their finishers. B hits a knee and goes for, goes to the corner for a long run black, blackout knee. Arisa then counters with a jumping Meteora that looked phenomenal. Just gets so much air and gets the flash pin win. I love it. Arisa says now that she's beaten B Priestley, she can move. She can use a move of Ospreys, referencing a Twitter beef that they had. So the idea is now Osprey is going to teach Arisa the Oz Cutter. Maybe that can that can be a better setup for her uh, her uh, Brazilian kick. And then um, the next two days were uh, pretty awesome. Um, so that September seventh show is like my show of the year, next to the Dragon Gate show. It was amazing. It was there. It was Stardom's best full card, uh, uh, bottom to top. Shinkabu uh, September eighth, day sixth. Uh, we're we're uh, red block again here. Avery defeats Saki quickly, four minutes. Uh, Azumi defeats Hanakimura, which I was not expecting, in seven-minute match. That puts Hana and Azumi each at six points. So, don't know what's going on there. Uh, Jungle Kiona defeats Kagetsu. Kiona wins via the Kaniku Buster. This match was excellent. Jungle Kiona and Kagetsu, this was veteran versus veteran type stuff. This is a stardom match. Highly recommend it. Uh, I don't know if I like it more than the Mayu-Tam Nakano match. And I don't know if I like it more than the Momo-Azumi match. I'm going to have to put that together, but those are definitely one, two, three, um, in that order. Or not that order, but they are one, two, three. I'll have to think about it. Uh, Arisa defeats Andres Miyagi. Hazuki defeats Mayu Iwatani. 
Hazuki and Mayu, uh, I wish that was the main event of the show, because then they would have had more time. I felt like the Hazuki-Mayu match was held back. I felt like there wasn't enough limb work for the two. Uh, eight minutes was just too short for these two. Um, but with Mayu pretty much sticking around and Hazuki being so young, uh, they can build to an excellent singles match in the future. They didn't have to give it to me here. Uh, but Mayu and Hazuki, you're both at six points. Arisa and Andres, six points. So everyone's seemingly at six points of, of, uh, note. So, uh, day seven, Osaka day, September 14th. This is the last one I'll be talking about. This is the halfway point. Uh, Hazuki defeats Avery. No shock there. Uh, Momo Watanabe defeats Natsu Sumire in less than six minutes. No shock there. Jamie Hayter defeats Konami in 7.45. So that moves Hazuki, Momo, and Jamie Hayter all to eight points. And that sticks um, Miyagi Kagetsu. Yes? At six? Anyways. Uh, Hater's looking in much better shape. Um, especially at this point. Uh, she's got her sprint back. She's got her speed back. She's still got her power. Uh, yeah, I just don't know where they're going. It's just very confusing. Everyone's just beating each other. Uh, it's hard to grasp a story here. Kagetsu defeats B Priestley, so gets her win back. Uh, over the Red Belt champion, the one that beat her. Uh, 11.31. This was solid. Not much else to say there. Not as good as their title match. Not as much time devoted to it. So regardless, unfortunately, news came out. Two things of news. Utami, uh, during uh, the September 8th show, came out and announced she broke her pinky finger and must drop out of the five-star. She was very emotional about it all. It's a big bummer. And then Jungle Kiona announced she dislocated her shoulder. She's out of the five-star as well. Uh, I believe that came in the match against uh, Jamie Hayter, which I believe is the Osaka Night Show that I'll be watching here. So I will finish the final four nights and get ready, uh, get all that ready for the next cast. I can talk about them in longer, more detail. I want to give, this was one of my goals in 2019 for the Red Leaf Retro cast, was to give Stardom the proper coverage. I, I did cover it in 2018 when I first started this. Uh, but stardom is a level that needs to be talked about. Not enough podcasts talk about it. Go and check out the No Particular Angle. They talk about it. I'm over with JPQ. We have our bet, Chikara, loser of the five-star, uh, loser of the stardom bet, coming out of the five-star, buys the drinks. Uh, <sighs> I'm buying him drinks. <laughs> I lost the bet on the last day of the five-star. JPQ, if you're listening, congratulations. You win the bet. Came down to the wire. I'll buy you some beer. My wallet's ready. Moving on, boys. We got some dub x dub to talk about. VXV. There we go. Uh, Bobby Guns. Bobby Guns. Bobby Guns. Where'd you drop, Bobby Guns? Guns? Eurobeat? There it is. No, that's not it. That's not the drop. Where's my Bobby Guns drop? I, oh, 
Where is it? Guns. Bobby Guns. Guns. Am I making my own drop here? Ah, oh, fuck. Ah, whatever, I'll play Walter's music. Volta. I will find that Bobby Guns drop at some point. I might even just play it for the progress one when I do find it. Ugh. I gotta organize these drops better. I hope I didn't delete it. Oh, fuck, there it is. My god. I'm just looking right past it. Alright. WXW Fan, September 13th. Not a multi-day event this year. Our first match is Tennille Dashwood versus Amal Winchester. Just goes by Amal now. I don't like cutting last names out of wrestling names. They go 13 minutes and 16 seconds. A bit slow for the most most part. Luckily, the final two minutes after the superplex spot was good and solid enough to bring me back in. Amal wins via a flash champions maker. Uh, Tim Thatcher cuts a fun promo, hyping up Hamburg homeboy Mula for the title match. Being home and so young in this business. That's a lot of pressure, Mueller. Can you handle it? Hamburg, are you ready? Quite like this. It was good. Uh, Pete Bouncer and Lucky Kid grudge match. The match never gets started. They brawl outside. Lucky Kid gets a hold of the nightstick uh, that Bouncer uh, got a hold of. But Kiev comes out to stop Lucky. Bouncer then leaps up to Full Nelson catch Lucky Kid from behind. Kiev then deviously smiles, kicks him in the face, two-on-one beatdown uh, with a nightstick and bat. Uh, Bouncer then gets in the face of Lucky Kid with a mic. He says, you are all alone. Rise, ist, gesicht. It's history. Crowd chants schadenfreude loudly, but nobody shows. This is simple and sensible long-term storytelling here. I love it. Everything made sense from the dissension in Rise and the coming of Schadenfreude. Lucky Kids Rise to the Top, uh, winning 16 Carat and then losing. Uh, Bouncer and Rise just having all of that issue in 2018 with um, with Bad Bones Klinger leaving. So uh, Rise is history. We'll see where they go. Avalanche defeats Emil Satoshi in an 11-minute street fight match. I quite like this. The, I think, 10-year journey of Avalanche being essentially a tag team specialist uh, gets his first singles title. I really enjoyed the street fight match. It was a good culmination of the feud. Emil Satoshi was built up as a good heel. I uh, he didn't have the go-away heat with me. He just had the dick that made sense with all of his actions and his whole kind of... Uh, angst persona that he had. He's like, I don't care, brah. Uh, I don't need this. I don't need you. I just want to feel pain. It was Raven-esque. Uh, it was good. So Avalanche is the champion. Uh, I did watch the Road to World Tag League um, defense of Avalanche versus Absolute Andy. Uh, it was good. Uh, Andy proclaimed his shot to the shotgun title because he wants to be the uh, big... Um, what a uh, Grand Slam champion in WXW, and he said he threw out Avalanche in the uh, shortcut to the top match, the the Rumble, if you will, 
and Avalanche accepts. It made total sense. Uh, Fran- no. Jay Skillet comes to the ring with uh, Andy as kind of a groupie. Andy's Avalanche even references his midlife crisis. It's quite funny. Uh, they have a pretty decent match. Lots of comedy spots with Andy and, and uh, Skillet. Uh, Caspin, I believe, is injured now, so it's curious what's going to be happening with Tag League. Um, and they do this weird spot where Skillet's in the ring, and he has a, I guess, brass knuckles, and Andy rolls up Avalanche, Avalanche kicks out, Andy hits, gets hit in supposedly, I think Caspin's nut brass knuckles accidentally hit Andy in the face, and then Avalanche gets him with the Vader bomb for the win. I think that's what they were going for, but it just came off as Skillet didn't have the brass knuckles, and Andy just kind of got shoved in a corner and fell down. So it, it, it was it was pretty bad. Aussie Open, uh, Fletcher and Davis defeat Dragonoff and Valter in 16 minutes. A fucking awesome tag team match. Uh, it showcased everything that made Valter and Dragonoff dick heels with uh, uh, with Fletcher and Davis being the big babyface team. Schadenfreude is over AF in the Deutschland. Uh, post-match, the new entrance of the team Purge Club hits, a.k.a revamped bouncer in Kiev show up to take out Aussie Open with the bats and nightsticks in reference to the turn on Lucky Kid earlier. This makes sense. Uh, Aussie Open are the champions. Rise is dead. They use the weapons uh, that that were brought out earlier. Um, and they're, they got really cool, like, glowy neon masks to go with it. Purge Club, I think, is the favorite going into World Tag League now. And it and it came out uh, at Bola Battle of L.A. Uh, Fletcher and Davis were there. Davis apparently may have tore his ACL, so it's very possible we'll have vacant uh, tag titles in both um, uh, Rev Pro and WXW. And coming up on Chapter ninety five for Progress, if they get the titles back, they might have to immediately just strip them or get new or. Uh, Fletcher gets Lucky Kid or Chris Brooks as his new tag team partner. Who knows? Uh, Fatal 4 match. Faye Jackson defeats Holly Dead, Tony Storm, Valkyrie. Not a good match. It went nine minutes. I don't like Faye Jackson. She is not someone that needs a singles push. Uh, then we had the Unified World title match. Uh, Bobby Guns, the champion, defeats Hamburg homeboy Fight Muller in a 23-minute match. A weirdly good match. Um... Bobby Gunn's the Bremen guy. Uh, Fight Muller is Hamburg. And they have... The two cities have a huge rivalry. Bobby Gunn cuts, cuts a promo about Hamburg is second league. Muller is second league. They don't deserve it. Bobby Gunn's even comes out in full-on Bremen uh, stuff. Uh, uh, Bremen football team. Uh, shawl uh, across his shoulder. Fucking great. The match wasn't anything spectacular. Muller needs to be carried, and depending on the level of the guy he's in the ring with, uh, we'll bring out the best in him. So this was weirdly good. I, I rather enjoyed it. It was catch wrestling versus catch wrestling. Uh, it's a WXW match with two young talents going at it. 
Bobby Guns wins off a small package, of all things. The crowd is disgusted. Even I went, oh, don't do that. Fight Muller is young. He was essentially gifted this title match. You don't need to keep him strong, and Guns look weak winning off a small package. The crowd just ate this alive, as in, like, NWO, WCW type hate. It was garbage. They threw trash in the ring. Luckily, what saved us a little bit is Guns is a massive heel. He rubs it in like he just pinned him clean with a move he planned, like it was all part of his plan the whole time. Nah, he wasn't going to lose. He eats it up alive. He eats the crowd's hate alive. Uh, Mueller does the ring comp. Uh, respect thing where he sticks his hand out and Guns just slaps it away. Got big heat, so maybe it was enough to save it. It's It still leaves a sour t- taste in your mouth, but I do like Guns essentially turning heel due to this match. So WXW's next event is World Tag Team League. We'll see what happens with Purge Club and who the next contender is and all that. Let's move on to the Natural Progression series from Progress. And I'm going to play Bobby Gunn's music. I'm going to play Bobby Gunn's music. I have to now. Natural Progression Series 6 of Progress Wrestling, September 14th. Uh, I'm only going to go over the matches I believe are worth checking out. Uh, It's like a three and a half hour show. It's quite long. It's a it's Progress's showcase of the biggest up and coming talent in Europe. Um, at least that's the idea is Europe. Um, so these are all people you could see in Progress's main event in later this year, next year. Uh, so uh, OJMO defeats Fight Muller, quite good. Wins off a half crab, uh, and that plays into the whole Valter is the champion. Let's get people to worry about the guy who the champion picked. Uh, Danny Duggan defeats the OJMO, and the reason why I like this one was Danny Duggan joins DNR and wins the match in alignment with the heel group. So this is where Danny Duggan really won me over, because he was nothing. He, he was not on my radar. I didn't care about him prior to this. So they built up a big heel immediately in this in this uh, natural progression series. Uh, my match of the tournament is Scotty Davis defeating Carl Noir in the semifinals. So, that leaves the finals as Danny Duggan versus Scotty Davis. I was pretty much convinced that Scotty Davis was going to win. It was my prediction. I thought he was going to go against uh, the OJMO in the finals. Uh, but I do like the booking. I do like the fact Danny Duggan turned heel, did everything he could to win. He answered the call of Do Not Resuscitate and creates a huge heel in the main event. Uh... The six-man tag team street fight was pretty cool. It was LAX and Eddie Kingston taking on CCK. Uh, but because um, Kid Lycos is injured, Chris Books and Jonathan Gresham got Jordan Grace, Jonathan Gresham's wife, uh, to be part of this match. So the intergender thing is picking up in progress, it seems. This was all right. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Oh, my God. Mm. 
yeah, they play into the Dick Heel CCK storyline. <coughs> and Team New York C over here made them eat their words. And we got our finals. Scotty Davis defeats Danny Duggan uh, with Chuck Mambo and William Ever of DNR ringside. Davis overcomes the odds after a fantastic run-in from OJMO to chafe off, chase off the Goon Squad. Uh, very solid match. If this was WWE, Danny Duggan would have won, and Scotty Davis would have continued losing. But this is wrestling in the real world, not the WWE world. And the big baby face gets the big baby face win, and everyone goes home happy. Scotty Davis winning is the right decision. And his mustache is glorious. Just have to throw that out there. That moves on to New Japan. Here we go. God, I love that song. It's one of my favorite entrance musics. <clears throat> Not as good as Ring Up, though. Classical music. New Japan, Super, Get- Super J-Cup. So just like with the... Uh, Natural Progression series of this tournament. I'm just going to go over the matches I think are worth watching the most. Uh, it was a very good two-day, no, three-day tournament. Um, I wasn't too into day two. I was very much more into a lot of the first-round matches and the f- and the uh, semifinal final. Uh, Show defeats Taiji Ishimori, which shocked me heavily. Shock arrowed me, you might say. 17 minutes. Ishimori put over Show so well. Uh, and... and Yo and, Yo and Sho are the future of the junior division. And I think if New Japan's smart, they'll have them compete for both sets of tag titles. Continue, because that G.O.D. match did did get over. Uh, but but keeping Sho and Yo as juniors uh, really helps the division out. And Ishimori being the super vet, putting over Sho. And then th- this really uh, told a good story of Ishimori wanting to just fuck over the baby faces for the f- rest of the tournament, helping out El Phantasmo and Bullet Club here. Uh, amazing Red did an amazing match with Will Ospreay. He lost, but it went almost 30 minutes, 28-19. And they did everything they could to make Amazing Red look Amazing. He's come out of retirement. Uh, Will Ospreay did a little, did some heel tactics because he was upset that the crowd was chanting of the veteran of days past over the champion himself. Uh, go out of your way to watch this one. This was the, in my opinion, the third best match of the Super J Cup. Yeah, third best. Uh, day two, the only one I really got into was Will Ospreay defeating Sho. So Ospreay defeats the guy who defeated Ishimori. That went 30 minutes. That was This was an endurance battle. Um, Sho really got over in this one. And then day three was ungodly. Dragon Lee defeats Karistico in a Lucha Libre match of all Lucha Libre. Uh... Very much support it. It was better than anything I watched on the CMML anniversary show. And this was only 11 minutes. I really just couldn't get into... Uh, you can watch the CML uh, 80... Was that 6th anniversary on YouTube for free? Um, I'd recommend go checking out the cage match card. 
so you can see who's on it. It was just a lot of two out of three falls, a hair versus hair elimination cage match, which was strange. Um, Dragon Lee Caristico luchaed the hell out of each other. El Fantasma defeats Will Ospreay in 11 minutes, uh, cementing him gunning for the title, and Fantasma getting over big, uh, using heel tactics. Ishimori costs him the match. Uh, great stuff there. Uh, then we got the Bullet Club in a tag team match, the the space match between the finals. Uh, White and Ishimori defeat LIJ's team of Bushi and Naito. 14 minutes, and this set up White, Net, uh, White Naito for the IC title going into the Destruction Tour so well that, you know, the the the, the cheeky Jay White not, um, not being, uh, what is it? He's not going to fall for the Destino. He just falls to the ground and smiles, low blows him. Oh, it's great. And then El Phantasmo defeats Dragon Lee in 25 minutes. In the finals, uh, the best spot of the match was easily when El Phantasmo has Dragon Lee on a table over a guardrail on the outside. He, he does a springboard double foot stomp, and upon landing, he busts himself open something awful. He just has this red crimson mask on. And he came across as just a crazy psychotic villain that's willing to do anything it takes to win. And that is that. if that's not the essence of Bullet Club, I don't know what is. Uh, this was my favorite match of the tournament by far. And when you deliver that in the finals, I can't complain. Uh, Dragon Lee. <laughs> uh, this is funny. So I, I still have to finish watching um, Death Before Dishonor, Ring of Honor. Uh, has I watched Roosh versus um, Matt Taven title match already. I'll just talk about that in the next cast. But Dragon Lee and Roosh have been fired from CMLL, so I hope we get Dragon Lee full-time in New Japan going forward now. Uh, moving on to the Destruction and Kagoshima. I skipped the Beppo show. I was just not in the mood for that. Uh, another Tanahashi, Zack Sabre Jr. match. I'm sure it was good. But I've seen like four of them this year already. I'm, I'm burnt out for it. That is a good case of overexposure. Just like if there's another Ibushi Naito match. I'm not going to watch it. Uh, Bullet Club, Jay White, and Yujiro uh, take on uh, LIJ. Uh, Evil and Tetsu Naito. The build of White Naito and this feud has been one of the most simple and one of the best all year. I loved it. Doesn't matter who won. Uh... IWGP heavyweight tag team title match, 23-10. It's a Bullet Club, ELP, and Ishimori taking on the Birds of Prey of Chaos, Robbie Eagles and Will Ospreay. Uh, great match, all high speed, all spots, all the time. It's exactly what you would think. Just crazy tag maneuvers. Uh, Osprey and Eagles have just an insane amount of, of double team moves that come across as very athletic, uh, very high moniker, and yet, Bullet Club retained the titles. Then we have our IWGP heavyweight title, uh, number one contendership match at the Dome. It's Kenta, the new never champ, never open weight champ against Kota Ibushi. Uh, Kenter, Kent, Kenter. Kenta is a wonderful heel you love to hate. And Ibushi is the best babyface in all of wrestling right now. Uh, Kenta's dyed his hair blonde. He's just kicking harder. He's nonchalantly moving about the ring. There was so much interference. And uh, much like the Jay White Ibushi 
G1 Finals, this is a great case of Ibushi's story overcoming uh, all the odds of the dick heels. Whether it was Jay White, whether it was um, Ishimori coming out again. Ishimori is 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 really bent on having baby faces lose, and he's only uh, this was his first uh, unsuccessful attempt. So that really makes Ibushi come across as very strong and a strong contender uh, for Okada, assuming Okada does not lose the title before the Tokyo Dome. So Ibushi wins, fucking awesome! I loved it. I love a good face heel matchup where. It makes sense, and you're not pissed off at the end of it all. Uh, yeah. And then that will take us into Destruction in Kobe, September 22nd. Um, look, eight-man tag, the team of, the, the team of uh, Tanahashi, Liger, Rocky Romero, Mask versus Suzuki-Goon never gets started. Instead, after... The story of Minoru Suzuki tearing at the mask of Liger to demask him and shame him. Liger, in this moment, has fury overcome him. He tears off his own mask. And you're like, what are you doing, Liger? And the painted, old, evil version, Kishin fucking Liger, makes his appearance. His third or fourth ever that he's done. It's his great Muda-like personality come out that the god of demons the demon god of liger has come out he gets a fucking like railroad spike charges at uh suzuki who's light up against the table in the corner just ducks the spike and the spike goes through it and Min- and minoru suzuki gets chased off and liger's just even in the post-match promo he's just attacking everybody he's sp- he well, in the ring, he missed so he missed uh, Suzuki, missed the ref, goes backstage. Suzuki's like, "Oh God, what's happening?" Kishin Liger beats him up, and then he walks away, and he's laughing maniacally, like he's so happy. He brought out this demon in Liger. Oh, it's good. It's good score storytelling, and that's a that's a match for Kings of Pro Wrestling. Very excited. Uh, we continue with uh, Bullet Club taking on Chaos. Uh, this was just fun. Phantasmo, Kenta, Ishimori, and the um, uh, Girls Destiny taking on Chaos, Sho, Yo, Ishii, uh, Osprey, and uh, Yoshihashi. Well, the big moment here was Rapongi 3K guys pin Girls Destiny to get their tag match, which I got to see, which I spoke of at the top of the show. Um. Then we have Chaos versus LIJ. This is Okada and Eagles and Bushi taking on Bushi, or Ibushi, taking on Bushi, Evil, and Sonata. Uh, wh- what's worth talking about here is the big post-match stare-down. Evil slapping Ibushi, and all while this is going on, Sonata is avoiding a series of drop kicks from Okada, because earlier in the match, Okada missed a drop kick. So now the story is he can't hit one. And I saw, I saw him not hit the drop kick against Sonata, uh, here in Boston. Or Lowell, to be exact. Then we just got the Haas match, worker of all Haas matches, beautiful beast match. Everyone should just go watch it. It's Goto beating Shingo Takagi in 20 minutes, 27 seconds. This essentially set up the number one contender match for the IC title. So who is 
the IC champion. Well, Tetsuya Naito is defending against Jay White. They go just under 30 minutes, 29-47. Breathe with the switchblade, everybody. Breathe. Just breathe. <sighs> oh, knife. Knives. Knives. Oh, knives. So good. Um, yeah, White just beats him clean. Naito's beltless. Uh, White said himself that he wants to be the first one to hold the heavyweight and the IC title. Uh, favorite moment of this here was definitely the apron spot battle, where they're just going back and forth until the, the big hit comes. And then post-match, after the win, Jay White, rightfully so, uh, rubs it in everyone's face, and Goto walks out, and Jay White's like, no, 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 you're not supposed to be out here. He's raining down on his parade. Uh, get out of here, I'm not fighting you. And then he goes goes post-match promo, and he just lists off everyone he has a winning record against. Uh, and the only people he'll fight are the people he doesn't have the winning record against. So he's a heel, but he's a fighting heel, and he wants to fight the rightful opponents, not Goto. But Goto does make reference to the fact that he beat him the last time they faced. So... New Japan looking good, heading into Kings of Pro Wrestling. We got a stacked card. Uh, bottom to top on that show, that's going to be utterly fantastic to watch. New Japan just killed it yet again. And that'll give us get us into the final segment of the show, WCW. Here we go. Yes, and before I begin my WCW Road Wild 1998 review, haven't had any iTunes reviews coming in from anywhere lately, Uh, so if you enjoy this podcast, keep it alive, keep me happy, bring a smile to my beautiful, unshaven Sunday, no, Saturday face, oh, I don't even know what day it is, that's how much I need an iTunes review. My mind is going elsewhere. Go leave it at Red Leaf Retrocast, and I'll read it on the cast. WCW Road Wild, 1998, coming from Sturgis, South Dakota, the big biker rally. Cool set, has dudes on Harleys all the way up to the guardrails. It's a cool environment, something WCW did right time and time again. First match, Mang versus, with, uh, yeah, Mang with, bar. Uh, first match, Mang versus the Barbarian with Jimmy Hart. An okay match. It was just okay. Barbarian got real lost at one point, having no clue what to do after dragging Mang to the ropes, but not outside the ring. Anyways, Mang wins off a Tongan death grip and gets beaten up post-match by Jimmy Hart, Barbarian, and Hugh Morris until Hacksaw Jim Duggan comes and makes the save with his big stick of wood. Yeah, not much else to say there. Uh, At least this was built on Nitro properly, and the good guy wins... Uh, he gets beaten down for no reason, and the guy who uh, he saved unintentionally saves him. So, not my first choice for an opening match, but they did it. Second match is a weird one. Disco Inferno and Alex Wright with Tokyo Magnum versus Public Enemy. Has to be something built up on Thunder. Uh, or not at all. Standard tag match until Alex Wright gets a trash can. Cracks Rock Rock. In the head, not a DQ. Then there's a beating until, for some reason, Public Enemy gets control. And that leads to Disco and Wright just leaving to the back. 
refs not counting them out. Tokyo Magnum's left on the ramp, staring off into space. He's just like, what's going on? Did they leave? Come back? I don't know. Well, Wright and Disco leave and they get a table. The ref now announces this as a street fight. So, sure. I wish commentary would be like, I hope, uh, I hope the ref, you know, since he's keeping this going, changes the rules. Anyways, Public Enemy then leaves. Takes Disco's words of having everything but the kitchen sink quite literally. They leave to the back and come back with some more plunder, including the kitchen sink. They hit each other with a bunch of shit until Public Enemy sets up a triple table. With Grunge climbing uh, the scaffold that's ringside for the lights. Uh, Elbow drops Disco through the three tables quite sloppily. Public Enemy wins. Ray. Triangle match. Raven Saturn Canyon finally, after all spring and fucking summer, degradating the storyline that started hot, is now culminating right here, right now. Lodi Sign Watch, boys. Sturgis is full of fat wives and losers. We hate Harleys. And biker chicks are fat. Good job, Lodi. Love you. Braver man than I. I wouldn't do that at the biggest biker rally in the world. Uh... The match makes no sense for the first minute, first few minutes, with weird combos and tag maneuvers uh, from the various guys in the match. And yes, this is also a no-DQ match under Raven's rules. So, you can understand why the crowd is less than thrilled to be a part of this. I get what they were trying to do with the story of the three each wanting to win, and wants to take one guy out first, and then they can do their 1v1. Uh, When it finally becomes a three-way, it actually got really good. And they stopped trying to tell this weird who's on whose side story if there's a side at all uh the end was canyon trying a splash on raven from a scaffold to the outside so the way this is set up is you have the floor then you have a raised stage then you have the ring on top of the raised stage so canyon jumps off the scaffold onto that raised stage Knees first, which must have sucked, and then he falls all the way down to the floor, essentially taking him out of the match altogether. So it's a it's a cool spot and pretty devastating to Canyon. Uh and and he missed because Lodi pulled Raven out of Canyon's way. Saturn uh on Raven, and then Horus comes out to save Raven. So we have more odds against uh, the baby face. Lodi accidentally throws powder in Horus's face, because Horus always brings a stop sign with him. Uh, he, you know, Mrs. Saturn hits Horus. Horus then cracks Lodi with a stop sign um, out of anger, I guess, because it's, it's Lodi. He fucked up. You got to beat him up is the mentality. Uh, Horus turns around and goes after Saturn. Saturn pulls Raven in front of the stop sign shot, which is quite fun. funny. It's just Horus is a bumbling fool. That is the flock. I'm okay with this. Uh, big suplex from Saturn on Horus to take him out. DVD on Raven. Saturn wins. Okay, then. Not bad. I liked it. I like the bumbling fools of the flock costing Raven. So Raven's still strong. He's still the leader. He's going to, you know, he can kick the shit out of him. Canyon can still have his 1v1 against the Raven since he never got his revenge and now saturn's beaten raven so he can now move on and go after the tv title or something so as of right now in this moment 
I am a satisfied WCW fan. The plunder match was fine. It was hardcore. Whatever. It's just weird. It just came off as weird. Barbarian and Mang had as good as matches they're going to have. Fine. The story was there. Let's move on. Now they announce a number one contendership match for the Cruiserweight title. It's Psychosis versus Rey Mysterio Jr. By the way, just want to mention, haven't seen L.A. Park on WCW forever. Must be only filler on Thunder. Uh, but anyways, Psychosis played the power game. Mysterio pulling out Ultimo, Ultimo Dragon type moves here. This 14-minute match was a lot of fun to watch. Ends with Psychosis missing a running front dropkick. Lariats himself on the ropes as he does. Mysterio does the springboard Hurricane Rana pin and spikes Psychosis in the motion on the on the way over and wins the match. Fucking right, I loved it. Uh, WCW then shows us all kinds of views of the event, including a shot from a helicopter for some reason. So money well spent, I'm sure. And, uh, then we get, so right now, Road Wild, I don't hate, I quite like this show. Chavo Guerrero Jr. with his horse Pepe, yes, he's Crazy Chavo, versus Stevie Ray for the TV title. Alright. Let's do a little history here. Let's, let's, let's go down memory lane. The last time Chavo and Stevie Ray met in the ring... This was before Chavo and Eddie had their 1v1 match. The hair versus hair match. Chavo faced Stevie right before that, shook his hand, and submitted right away. So if that's any indication of what's to come, here we go. As I may. Chavo has a typed-up piece of paper and a notary stamp and claims he is now the TV champ, not Stevie Ray. Basically making fun of how Stevie Ray became the TV champ in the first place. I am somehow getting the strange feeling that perhaps WCW, due to Booker T being injured, simply is pushing Stevie Ray as a cheap replacement. Stevie Ray keeps no-selling Chavo strikes as the match goes on. Chavo runs around the ring away from Stevie Ray. A lot, I might add. One kick and a slapjack. Stevie squashes Chavo. A waste of my time, and now a waste of yours. Eddie comes out and saves Chavo from a post-match beatdown from Stevie Ray. Whatever, I guess. Alright, that's WCW, is it? They can't help themselves. But then we get a mixed segment. A segment I really enjoyed, but there is there, it does have its flaws. So, Steiner Line time! It's brother versus brother. The story that was on and off since, hey, Spring Stampede. Sound familiar? Yeah, just like Canyon, Saturn, and company. Rick versus Dot Steiner. Here we go. But no, J.J. Dillon informs Rick that due to the chair shot Rick gave to Scott last week on Nitro, this match has been called off. So, not the place to do it at a pay-per-view where people have paid money to see this, right? The crowd fucking hates this oh oh god i went why couldn't you just do this next week on nitro don't book this match for the pay-per-view you know you can have a storyline like okay it might be at the pay-per-view and then and then 
all it took, all it would have taken was on Nitro after that chair shot. You go, is Steiner okay? Is Scott going to make it to Spring Stampede or um, Road Wild? And then you just don't have this segment here at Road Wild. You do it on Nitro to explain why the match didn't happen. And you have a different match at Road Wild that should have been built. Like, oh, I don't know. Bret Hart defending the U.S. Championship? There's an idea. Anyways. Uh, let's. So that's the criticism of the segment. Now, the segment itself was fucking awesome. So J.J. Dillon informs Rick that due to the chair shot, uh, Scott Steiner has been ruled uh, unable to fight. So Scott Steiner gets rolled out on the stage by neck-braced, again, Buff Bagwell. Scott Steiner's on a full gurney with an IV, and he's all taped up like a mummy. Uh, he's taped up on his entire left side, his left arm, he's in a neck brace, he's got a, he's got the IV in, he's got a, he's got a, um, oxygen mask over his, over his face. It's fantastic. So, Buff Bagwell is cutting this promo. Uh, Steiner, yeah. Buff asks Scott if he's okay, and he only gets mumbling back. It's super funny. J.J. Dillon informs the two and the audience that the contracts that they signed for this match do state that WCW reserves the right to reschedule the match within 45 days. At the next pay-per-view, Fall Brawl. So this is where the crowd just fucking loses it. Right? They're so mad. Because you don't announce the match that was supposed to be the one you were going to for the next one. Right? Uh, so Buff asks Scott if he will be ready by then, and he gets mumbles back again. Again, it's funny. Uh, JJ then tells them if they don't show up to Fall fall Brawl, Scott will be barred from wrestling for life. Scott hilariously leaps up like a zombie, like, oh, like Undertaker, shocked face. Leaps out of the gurney, all pissed off. The IV's still in him. He tears the mask off, at least. And he's yelling. Rick Steiner immediately jumps out of the ring and runs up the ramp, chasing after him. Scott Steiner turns tail and runs with the IV IV bag dragging behind him. I loved this. Not loving the continued procrastination of the feud, but super funny nonetheless. It grew on me. So... I know it's been procrastinated, like, way too much, and it's on and off, and I, I believe it was because of the Rick Steiner injury, and now they're trying to play it play it back, putting in Buff Bagel. I get exactly what they're doing here. So, it's just kind of wrong timing, a lot of it all. Uh, anyways, moving on. Brian Adams with Vincent versus Mongo McMichael. This match sucked, and was boring. Shocker. Mongo Tombstone wins. So, we have a bad match, and the bad Chavo match. Okay. Special ref Dean Malenko to the ring. Juventud Guerrero versus Cruiserweight champion Chris Jericho. Jericho wears a glorious kimono to the ring and revs up the audience making fun of their bikes. So, getting real heat. Honestly, he got the first real reaction from the crowd all night, actually. Uh, This match was fantastic. Each role was amazing. The match itself was solid. And the character work was awesome. Iceman not messing around was fair throughout with a suspiciously slow count that even commentary got us to notice. He does do it for both men, but the story was good because it took a while to see Hoovy's first pin attempt. I quite like that. It's a good touch. Malenko wasn't about the corner punches. 
he pulled the guys out because that's not how Malenko uh, rustles. You know, th- that's illegal. Uh, so Jericho gets frustrated with Malenko after he thought Hoovy had tapped out to the uh, Lion Tamer. Uh, Hoovy accidentally knocks Malenko. So then Jericho takes advantage and hits Hoovy with the title. Uh, Hoovy kicks out. Uh, no, um, Jericho then gets Malenko, like, back into, uh, the right mental state and slaps him real hard. Malenko, like, does that whole quick head shake, looks at him real strong. Hoovy kicks out, uh, of the belt shot and then, uh, goes back to punches in the corner and puts, uh, Jericho up on the top, uh, sitting position and goes to give him the, you know, the 10, 10 strikes standing in the corner, but Malenko forcefully pulls him out again. So very good ring story here. Uh, then Hoovy takes a charge at Malenko and Malenko avoids it by throwing Hoovy over his head backwards onto Jericho for a hurric- or for a Frankensteiner off the top. Uh, Pin, win, new champ, amazing spot to build an end to in the match. It all made sense. Match of the night, easily. I could already say that. It was fucking fantastic. Jericho tries to jump Malenko post-match. Malenko just beats him up, throws him out, gets him out of there. Great. Loved it. This is the WCW I like. This right here. I can can accept a piss-poor match with, like, Brian Adams and Mongo McMichael. Just, you know, skip that. Whatever. I can fully accept uh, trying to do a comedy match with Chavo and Stevie Ray. It's just stupid. I hate it. Uh, I can accept them doing it. I just don't have to like it. NWO Battle Royal time. Uh, First guy out is Scott Hall, followed by NWO Hollywood, Giant, Hennig, Norton, and Hall. Hall does a survey. Oh, I'm sorry. I said, yeah, Hall does a survey. NWO Wolfpack follows. Nash, Sting, Luger, Conan. And then Goldberg Musics hits. So yes, this is a nine-man battle royal with the only stakes seemingly being whomever throws out Goldberg gets a title shot. It's dumb. At least that's the way I assume, because otherwise it's there's no there's nothing worth it, right? So it's Wolfpack versus NWO at first, then Giant grabs Goldberg only for a second. Uh, so Goldberg body drops Hall over the top, and then Nash immediately eliminates himself. He scoop slams Hall and then leaves. What? Ugh. And then throughout, Hennig seems to be giving Goldberg cues on what to do and when. So Luger and Norton are pretty much sticking to the same corner or going to another one every now and again and just kind of doing that whole, eh, I'm going to throw you out, kind of, legs in the ropes. They're not doing anything. Hennig sticks to Goldberg for the cues. Giant occasionally gets a shot at on Goldberg because that's kind of the story that telling there. Spear on Hennig throws him out, dumps out Sting and Norton at the same time. Spears Luger. Giant throws him out, choke slam on Goldberg, and then he showboats. Goldberg sits up, Gold Undertaker style, kind of shakes it off, no sells it. Spear jackhammer pin. It's over. And yes, it was the only pin in the battle royal where pins were an option. So kind of boring battle royal. With a lot of star power. Seemed pretty half-assed to get put a Goldberg showcase in, I suppose. Wasn't the worst thing in the world. It was just really strange. 
Then we get our main event, a long, exaggerated entrance of uh, main event, just like Bash of the Beach. Hogan and Bischoff with the Disciple versus DDP and Jay Leno. I spoke on the previous episode, J- DDP has to win this match. He has to, otherwise what's the point? Uh, keep in mind, Nitro never replayed a single one of the Tonight Show angles. Nor has Leno made one appearance on Nitro before this main event. Only those stupid, horrid Bischoff Tonight Show segments. Fucking what? So I was not digging this match, going into it. Match felt like it was in just slow motion, all the way through the build to the Bischoff versus Leno hot tag. Leno's buddy Eubanks, who's on the outside, uh, off a distraction, um, off a ref distraction, hits a diamond cutter on Bischoff. Leno gets the winning pin. Hey, DDP's team got the win, but not DDP. So, couldn't DDP just diamond cutter Bischoff and then pull Leno on him or something? I don't know. But this is WCW, so NWO does a post-match beatdown. Goldberg makes the save for seemingly no reason. I don't know what connection he has with any of that. He just beat up the entire NWO, both versions. But anyways, I suppose a happy ending. Didn't need the two beatdowns. Regardless, I didn't hate the show. I rather enjoyed most of it. Oh my god. There's some, there is some hope in the light. But alas, dear listeners, there are still many nitros ahead until we finish off in, at the very least, I'm going through 1999. At the very least. I don't know if I have it in me where I can watch 2000 and 2001 Vince Russo train wreck WCW. I can't. I don't think I have it in me. I think I'd rather go back and watch like 90s and early 2010s uh, New Japan. Uh, big events. I think I'd rather do that. But that's that's ages away. So on to the wrestler spotlight. Or not the re- Oh my god. Now on to the wrestler rankings. So just going through it real quick. 10, B. Priestley. 9, Mayu Iwatani. 8, Kagetsu. 7, Jungle Kiona. 6, Momo. Uh, 5, Utami. 4, Azumi. High up there. 3, Arisa. 2, Konami. 1, Tom Nakano. Yes, I think Konami has been the most consistent worker in the five-star in this first half now, and Tom Nakano is the best. She's the MVP currently. Let's see how it throws out uh, for the second half of stardom. It's a lot of stardom power. There's not a lot of women's wrestling going on outside of stardom. I do have the Ice Ribbon um, event to watch for the next episode, so look forward to that. Get some more diversity other than just a bunch of stardom people. Perhaps I can get a, uh, a Sendai event in there or something. We'll see. Uh, so the men's is 15, Scotty Davis, 14, Goshi Ozaki, 13, Hammerstone, 12, Karistico, 11, Amazing Red, 10, OJMO, 9, Ibushi, 8, Naito, 7, Kenta, 6, Osprey. Osprey's back on the list with no Okada. Just when Okada was catching up. 5, Goto, 4, Shingo, 3, Jay White, 2, Dragon Lee, and 1, shouldn't come as any surprise, El Phantasmo. So yeah, those are the top wrestlers. Again, after the episode goes live, uh, you can look at my Twitter for the updated top 10 men and women's rankings overall from 2019. Uh, look forward to episode 41 
uh, with the debut of AEW going to be on that. And more ML, MLW, more uh, Progress Chapter 95 is going to be the huge one, and uh, probably Kings of Pro Wrestling. So this was WrestleCast, Episode 40, Natural Progression, 5-Star Super J Fan. Thank you for joining. We'll see you next time.